morning. We are recording right off the bat. So oh, right on. You are on. Yeah, Fuck I, it, we'll do it live. Well, Fuck yeah, it. That's that's how we do it. And actually, <laughs> I use just about everything. So if there's something that you say and then you're like, oh fuck, I shouldn't have said that, immediately say, don't use that. <laughs> Dude, I've been going I've been going for eight years without editing my show. So if I say it, fuck it, it's it's out there. As you've probably heard, we use everything that somebody <laughs> says, even the really bad out of context stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gotta be able to stand by absolutely everything you say, man. If you feel that uh, something needs to be retracted, fuck it. You shouldn't have said it in the first place. Well, that's Matt's whole entire life as he regrets everything he says on the show, but then has to live no, with no, it. No, no, I regret the way you cut things that I say on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really cut it that bad. I just take it and isolate it, and you said it. Yeah, well, yeah, but fuck you. You isolate it. You don't put the whole sentence in there. <laughs> yeah. Motherfucker, I'm just saying. Cool. We're ready to go. Already. Anyone who isn't dead or from another plane of existence would do well to cover their ears right about now. Cinema Psyops. My personal view is that it's nauseating, disgusting, degrading, ghastly, steamy, cruelly unpiolistic, and generally nauseating. They are unbelievably nauseating. They are the antithesis of humankind. I regard them as disgusting, nasty, horrible, without any kind of merit. I just do not believe that any allegedly cultural activity which strikes at the roots of culture is to be applauded. They represent nothing, to my mind, enduring, decent, or worthwhile. I just do not believe that they contribute anything worthwhile to inflict themselves upon society at large. I would like to see somebody Psyops with Hort and Matt. Hello and welcome to Cinema Psyops. I am joined in the room with a man who still thinks it might be St. Patrick's Day. It's Matt. Wait, it's not. No. Okay, I lost some time again. <laughs> yeah. What I remember is Thursday and my bracket for the NCAA tournament looked really good. Oh. And then a team lost. Uh-huh. And, and you remember the Vegas thing? Right. That kind of happened again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife was around your, your group for a little bit on St. Patty's Day and she also has moments of time travel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That was a you know, St. Patrick's Day on a Saturday. Uh, next time that's gonna happen, I'm gonna be way old. So I'm like, <laughs> uh, I'm like, I'm like, this is probably my last you, you know, hoorah of St. Patty's Day to really do it up in a whole day. Yeah. And on Sunday and continuing into today, I figured out why it's gonna be my last hurrah because while I was able to do it, the recovery from it has come at a cost. The X-rays of your liver look like molded old Swiss cheese. To quote. Reverend Horton Heat. Yes. Yes. My my liver is now probably sentient. And could, <laughs> sentient? Yeah. It could probably vote. And is giving you a middle finger? Yes. All right. That's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Well, a man who is no stranger to the conquering of liquor, the pressing of plates, the silver medal winner of the best beard and voice in podcasting, and I don't mean that as disparaging, it's just the silver medal. Yeah, <laughs> who got the gold? Well, in beard, it's Gary Hill. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in yeah. voice, it's, you know, 
Well, you? No, it's F13. Oh, okay. Sexiest voice in podcasting. I, th- I, th- I would have voted for you for your both. He's also a Renaissance badass luchador Ooh. of extraordinary talent in podcasting. It is fucking El Goro. What's up, dude? Not much, man. I was just thinking about uh, the days when I actually would devote St. Patrick's Day to an entire day of drinking instead of what I got up to this St. Patty's, which was tearing up my parents' floor because I'm lame now. <laughs> no, that's no, not I, lame. That's I, pretty fucking awesome. I, I want you to know this. First of all, that's not lame. He's right. That's pretty fucking awesome. And two, this has been like the first St. Patty's Day and I don't know how long where I got up to it for a full day. And nice. I really, I really had to lead myself into this. Like, <laughs> I always, when it comes to the NCAA tournament time, take the first two days of the tournament off. It's kind of like a okay. holiday for me, watching college basketball. And that Friday before St. Patrick's Day, I literally drank nothing and I was in bed by 9 p.m. just so I could have rested enough to actually pull Saturday off. It's like you went uh, into training. I did. I had to go into training. There was like a whole thing. Like, I'm pretty sure some Russian was against me in the training. <laughs> it was like blood doping. Yes, exactly. It was blood doping while I was sitting there pulling like a freaking cart in the snow. You see, I know that impulse well. There was a time when I would spend St. Patty's with t- uh, two of my more crazy Irish friends. Ooh. And for them, and by extension me, it started at midnight and it went until we were done, which was usually some 27 hours later. Oh. Jesus wept. Dude, we had a, I couldn't we had a imagine. Rule. We had a rule. You could not have a beer out of your hand at any time during the day. And if if anybody ever caught you without a beer in your hand, you had to take a shot. I, I worked both shots and I'd always had a beer in my hand on Saturday. I was, I, I could have, oh man, I don't know, midnight to all the way through though. I didn't yeah. start till like 9 a.m. And then that's what I started. Um, yeah, it was, it was one of the things where we finally stumbled downtown in the early morning. People were like, yeah, we just got up for, uh, you know, kegs and eggs. Like we've been up for seven hours. <laughs> Strap in amateurs. The El Gordo. Goro. Indeed. Goro. Yeah. Why does I say Gordo? Because you're an I asshole. Know, I am. I don't know. Back then, I was pretty fucking Gordo. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Grody. Well, I just lost out of any segue of coming out of yeah, that at dead, all. Dead yeah. The water here. Just completely, like, discombobulated. I'm still Goro, not on my game. Our job is done. We yeah. did it. Yeah, we we're did good. it. This is the first fuck up for court. Yeah, totally. But I'm just going to power through it because eventually the segue will find me. It will find you. Like a nerdy white guy just trying to work his way down the sidewalk on a busy yeah. street. Right. <laughs> It's going to happen. It'll find you. (laughs) Now, before we actually get too far deep into the show, now that everybody's kind of been initiated in meeting Goro, if you haven't heard his show before, Talk Without Rhythm, first of all, fucking shame on you if you haven't heard it. Massive shame on you. I mean, listen to this man's voice. Mm -hmm. I would blood eagle Matt for that voice. (laughs) (laughs) Nice pull. Damn. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I totally would. Okay. Yeah, I would totally do that. Okay. Yeah. Great. So for that reason alone, people should listen to it. Besides the fact that it's a great fucking podcast that you've been doing for, what, eight years now? Yeah, uh, just this January, we passed our uh, eight-year anniversary on the show. That's a fucking milestone. I will murder Matt before we even get to four, I'm sure. And we're <laughs> pretty me, close. Back, back when I had a co-host, there was pl- uh, plenty attempted murder along the way. I gotta be alive for you to be able to murder me, bro, and I just don't think the way I'm going, that's gonna actually get you to, you know, to come to pass. I just got really sad and happy all at once. <laughs> <laughs> happy that I'll have a new co-host, sad that I'm gonna lose a friend. Yeah, right? <laughs> Is that when you start masturbating with your tears? Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> as we all know, tears are good lube. That's the thing. The salt content. 
It's a thing. You, thank you, David. Thank you, David. Gives you a nice glisten at the end of it. Kind of rubs it down, shines it up. We're good to go. It makes it very photogenic for when you want to get on Snapchat. It's technically it's assaulting yourself. Be careful of the flash. You get the glare on it. Uh, that's true. All that's right. true. All right. Let's huddle up in the middle here with all this talk of perversion <laughs> and sick sexual stuff. We're trying to help Goro promote his show here. I'm sorry. So stop talking about your masturbation techniques, both of you, for Christ's sake. Because for the record, I'm getting hot here. So please, Goro, take the floor and tell everybody about Twerp, because if they haven't heard of it, shame on them and they need to know. All right. Well, I do a podcast called Talk Without Rhythm. It's a weekly movie discussion podcast where I pick two films and uh, that usually have some sort of theme and just talk about them. I mean, it's pretty much just an extension of my love of movies, though a lot of the stuff these days has been chosen by my Patreon. So I've been kind of opening it up for them to since they give me money, I've been discussing the movies they want me to cover. And yeah, it's been it's uh, been going for about eight years now lord knows when it's gonna end i've always said i'll stop doing it when i stop having fun and that time has not come yet did it become less fun for you when you went on your own solo because i'm considering doing that myself it definitely was a transition and there are certainly times that i miss the conversation and miss the ability to uh know that i'm gonna have somebody to bounce shit off of as is there's always that moment when i sit down to start a new episode where i'm like fuck i gotta be behind a microphone for about one to two hours talking to nobody but it, it's still fun because the biggest charge i get out of it is in the in the interaction with people. And it's stuff that has opened up a whole hell of a lot of doors for me just by introducing me to an incredible wide selection of people, yourself included. Oh, well, thank you very much for hey, that. Wait, hold on. What are we talking about? Yeah, n- nothing, 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 nothing. I, I Doros just, just espousing on, you know, oh. solo podcasting oh, and how sorry. that's the I, way of the future. We weren't talking about <laughs> me, so I was miles away. There's no way, absolutely no <laughs> way that I can do a solo show on my own Yeah, because I don't have the sexy voice. Uh, no, you kind of do. Oh, listen to Matt over I here. I, I, Flattery you know, will get you everywhere. For, for as much as shit as I give you, I mean, it, there's a lot of it. You, you do have a good voice <laughs> and a good beard. I would have voted you best beard, best voice. Oh, listen to him. See that? What he doesn't it? want to get fired, Goro. He's afraid you're going to take his job. Wait, you talked about me getting fired? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I'm not so mad about you talking about me getting fired. I'm mad I missed you talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking about you. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn, I missed it. In a roundabout way. If only way. this conversation was recorded and put on the internet for posterity. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Are we recorded right now? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yes, this oh. is a podcast. You're part of it. Did you at least watch the movie this week? Yes. The Mask of the Red Death. Yes, I watched it. it had Vincent Price in it. Yes, Vincent Price was in it. Yes. Yes, I watched it. Okay. I just didn't know we were doing a podcast about it. Did you do the notes this week? Ooh, no. <gasps> God damn it. I was supposed to do the notes? Yes, you were supposed to fucking do the notes. Hey, listen, in my defense, I just sobered up like 30 minutes ago. All right, look, we're going to have to take a little break here. We're going to have to play a promo for another podcast. You're going to have to do the notes. Yeah, I'm going to have to rush really quick and we'll call Goro back while I do the notes. My hand's shaking a little bit. I don't know if I can even write anything right now. Look, I need to get you with an electrolyte drip going right now directly into your veins. I'm going through withdrawals. This is not good. Is one supposed to bleed out of their eyes? You look like Steve Buscemi after a two-week bender on crack. Hey, only fat. Are these patches of yellowy skin normal? On you, yes. Okay. All right. Well, I get you fixed up and I go and watch the movie and do all the notes and all of that shit. We're going to take a little break. We're going to play a promo for another podcast. We'll have a little bit of music from the movie. We come back. There's not really a usable trailer, so we're going to have an Vincent Price introduction from Iowa Public TV instead. Ooh. Yeah. Prepare 
for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. So you, uh, you're sure that that homeless guy is not going to miss that liver? He's fucking dead now. It doesn't matter. That's true. It's amazing the amount of fucking homeless people that have your blood type. And, right? Like it's exact kinda, genetic match. It's a little disturbing. It's wait. extremely disturbing. Wait, are we live right now? Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Um, uh, Goro, you didn't hear any of that, right? No, no, no. Plausible deniability. I had my headphones off the entire time. Right, right. <laughs> so we're all good. We're, yeah. we're good. Yeah. We're fine. We're fine. Yeah. We're fine. We're fine. We're Absolutely fine. fine. We're probably fine. I don't feel guilty about what I just did at all. Not really. No. No. I mean, he looked like he was on his last legs anyway. Who? What are you talking about? That what? never happened. That never happened. A plausible deniability. Yeah. You know what I will plausibly not deny? What's that? This intro to the movie because the trailer's not usable? God, my liver hurts. <laughs> it's not even yours. The Red Death had long devastated the country. No pestilence had ever been so fatal or so hideous. Blood was its atavar and its seal, the redness and the horror of blood. There were sharp pains and sudden dizziness and then profuse bleeding at the pores with dissolution. The scarlet stains upon the body and especially upon the face of the victim were the pest ban which shut him out from the aid and from the sympathy of his fellow men. And the whole seizure, progress, and termination of the disease were the incidents of half an hour. But the Prince Prospero was happy, dauntless, and sagacious. So the master himself, Edgar Allan Poe, begins his sordid tale, The Mask of the Red Death, the subject and title of tonight's sojourn into the netherworld. Like all of our other Poe tales, this one is directed by Roger Corman, but you will be likely to be aware of a different Corman in The Mask of the Red Death. At this point, he may be likened to a great painter who has mastered the unwholesome elements of his art. His inspiration is the somber sorcery of Edgar Allan Poe, his brush, the camera, his paints, these panoramas of haunting beauty with actors and technicians, sets and lights. And his easel, my children, is your collective souls. Mask of the Red Death is considered by many to be Corman's finest work. Perhaps the most striking element in tonight's tour de force is Corman and Nicholas Rogue's skillful use of color, which creates a visually stunning and intricate picture. Even the performers play their parts with greater depth than in previous Poe ventures, portraying evil incarnate as both intellectual and blood-curdling. The usual conventions are there, but delicately blending. You will never be sure where Corman and Poe are taking you, but there will be no doubt of that 
when you arrive. We are now at the crossroads, my friends. Those of you who truly embrace my little world of gothic horrors have quite a treat in store for you tonight. Those of you who do not relish these macabre exercises are at a distinct disadvantage. Jesus Christ, could Vincent Price be any fucking cooler? No. <laughs> Absolutely impossible. There are no cooler than him. Yeah, man. He's just the fucking best. That whole entire piece is actually edited down, and I, I pulled some bits out that were more about the film and less about the production and the behind the scenes but if you want to hear the whole thing of that with the intro and the outros in these movies I highly recommend the Shout Factory box sets for the Vincent Price collections because it has all of that and more a lot of great stuff and some of the prints are just breathtaking it's like you've never seen the movie before and I would put Mask of the Red Death as one of those I mean I have not seen a more striking recreation of the colors and everything that's in the film than I have in that box set I don't know anybody else that's done a better print Gora are you aware of one? No no, no, I really, I'm really not. And it's, it's a shame that uh, Mask of the Red Death, at least in the Shout Factory version, it's only available in the out of print uh, box set collection, which is goddamn shame because that movie deserves to be seen at the highest possible quality available. I completely agree. You may luck out and you may find it on like their streaming service every now and then because I know they put some of that stuff when it's out of print up there until they lose the rights. And the last time I checked that actual first box set, if you do a little bit of shopping about and you look at the different sites that you can order these things from occasionally you'll find one still new that's not like an arm and a leg mm-hmm. I but it seems like these. the a- <laughs> oh yeah I, c- I can imagine but it seems like the average price for those box sets is still run- running around the $300 mark which is a little too much for me yeah yeah that's pretty ridiculous how far up that jumped already I mean yeah. I got I think my wife bought me two of these box sets for Christmas one year and then I went ahead and used Christmas money I had left over to buy the third one <laughs> it was like they got all released in like short succession and then I just got them all at once and I haven't gone through all of them just yet uh, I have watched a few of them here and there I know you're a fan of the 31 days of Halloween viewing of horror films and I like to do that as well this last year I tried to do two a day or the equivalent oh. of two a day and I made it by the end of it but some of those times I was like binging three and four movies a night to try and make up because I wasn't <laughs> I didn't hit two every day but i always made sure i made it up of like a day later or would watch plenty in advance i made it to 62 (laughs) there you go and that's sometimes that's all that matters because it can be very very painful to try to maintain that schedule going through it every day in halloween trust me i know yeah and the people that are around you and uh are you know your friends and loved ones are really fucking tired about day 10 of you going nope gotta watch nothing but horror related and i used to do it that way where it was like for the entire month of october regardless of whether or not it was a movie or a TV show or if I'm watching something or if I'm consuming any kind of media had to be horror related in some way, shape or form or Halloween related. Just keeping it to horror isn't too much of a problem with me since uh, thankfully my girlfriend is as big, if not bigger of a horror fan than I am. The only thing that uh, throws a monkey wrench into that is that when I do my 31 days, it has to be movies I haven't seen and she has a much lower tolerance for bullshit horror movies than I do. So there have been a couple times where it's just been Seriously, why did we just watch that movie? I, I thought it would be good. <laughs> I get that a lot with my wife, but she's used to my shit by now where I'm watching something that I know is bad or I'm laughing at it and I'm having a good time. And it's just amazing to just sit back and have a good time and, and have a lark with a film. And she's just shaking her head at me like, I don't understand you, but you're the one I'm with. So I guess I'm stuck. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, before we, uh, before we go on too much about the married life and <laughs> life of a man intertwined with another person trying to watch horror movies during Halloween. Yes. 
Because that could be its own show. Yeah, it really could. Yeah. Lifestyles of the podcasting poor and infamous. All right, let's get into the movie here. All right, so we have the overture with uh, credits, and I really like the way that they did this. It's pretty standard uh, bear for Roger Corbin films where you get the credits where it's sort of either a black and white or it might be a sequence from the movie lifted and then edited in such a way to be like an intro to kind of bring you into the world. This one just does one of the animation bits like some of his earlier works. Like when we did the Haunted Palace that Goro was going to guest on but ended up sick. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with me experimenting with the Captain Trips or the mm-hmm. <laughs> the super <laughs> flu that I ended up getting at the same time. Yes. He didn't catch that from me. You guys weren't full on mouth kissing each other? Oh boy, I would love to. Yeah, so much. <laughs> Have you seen there, that, there's, man? There's dangers in that. Our beards might start fighting each other, so. They'd get interlocked. I hate it when your Schwartz gets twisted. We would be like a, exactly. we'd be like a rat king only with beards. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so back to the movie here. Already sidetracked. You got me all worked up thinking about making out with Goro. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> so it goes from this uh, pretty neat little blood spatter color splash with the credits going over top of it, and it just gets more and more red as this happens with the blood splashes until finally the entire screen is red with just darker red going over top of it. And it goes from that to a solid red screen, and then it fades from that to black, and then fades in from black to what I first assumed was a vagabond sort of stumbling about the forest. It turns out it's just an old woman collecting fallen tree limbs and various pieces of broken wood. What I'm assuming is for a fire. She happens upon our titular entity who turns a rose from white to blood red. That's sort of that hand close magic that Matt's always into. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what I'm into actually. And he went over top of it and it looked like some blood dripped off of his hand onto the rose and then it started stained it. Yeah, colored it. Red. Really neat yeah, yeah. ways that they do this uh, old school kind of in-camera tricks and stuff like that, or they'll do dissolves or they'll they'll have the cut when they're moving the hand to replace the rose. Yeah, that's cool. He goes across it one way and blood drips. He goes back yeah. the other way, it's red. Yeah. Very neat. I'm, I'm yeah. into up close magic, <laughs> as, as I've said earlier. And it's a, it's such a simple effect, but it's, it's it tells you exactly what you need to know, you know, this sort of spreading contagion that can corrupt anything as, as innocuous as a rose. But it, it, to me, I, there's always a charm to some of those old special effects, particularly the way that uh, Corman would shoot them. Yeah, I totally agree. I wish he would have made more films in this type of cycle and would have stuck with this stuff, but that's not where the money was and that's what his drive was for making movies. It's that, true. Yeah. that green. He went from this to basically becoming a producer and then created some of the greatest exploitation films ever made as a producer. So you get that green. And some of my favorite <laughs> stuff, yeah. Mostly well, for the green. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's remarkable to me that in a world where the constant criticism against a the sort of auteur filmmaker is when they become too commercial, you know, that all oh, they've sold out, that uh, they've just been following money and all of these things. And there seems to be a lot of backlash against the pursuit of money, even though the majority of the, t- of the films that we see, they are money ventures. They're designed to turn a profit. Yet Corman has managed to remain apart from that, at least uh, in the modern perception of him. I'm sure there were people that were decrying his... Uh, money-making efforts back in the day, but people actually seem to celebrate the fact that this is a man who is quite proud of the fact that he made a hundred movies and never lost a dime, that he followed the trends to turn 
turn a profit because that's what he was using the films for. Yeah, and I don't really fault anybody for creating a movie in order to make money because everything is a product begging for your fat ass mighty dollar to quote Tool. <laughs> you Yay, know, good pull. capitalism. Yeah, that's just the way that it is, man. That's just how life is. So he hands her the rose and then tells the old woman to take it to the village and to tell her fellow residents of the village that their deliverance is at hand. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime a cloaked figure whom I cannot see their face is offering me deliverance in any way, shape, or form, I ain't touching shit they're handing to me. No, that's that, that that's not a good sign, usually. Yeah, and the symbolism is extremely strong with this. If you aren't paying attention, you're just thinking, what the hell's going on with this red dude handing a red rose? Yeah. Is this magic? Is it some kind of a curse? I mean, is this the beginning of The Bachelor? I get it. I get it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just wow. Just wow. And it's usually at the end of The Bachelor where he's handing out roses. Oh, yeah. I don't know. You know, the Bachelor. All time I never before, watched yeah. that shit, so I don't yeah, know. I have no idea, but I just thought, you know, the rose thing just came to me. So. You're just trying with pop culture references yes, to bring in more listeners. Just everything out there I think of. <laughs> Somebody love us. <laughs> Please. They dissolve from that to Prospero's envoy stomping in through the village. And when I say stomping, I mean there are hoof stomps yeah. left and right. They're almost having their horses high step on purpose just to make them crash down. Down even more. I I really thought just some guy off camera with cup coconuts just. <laughs> 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 the thing that really got my attention, though, is there's a baby in the middle of the road, and they nearly hoof stomp a baby, but it is saved at the last minute by a man of the village, and it turns out that that's our hero for the picture, I guess, although he's not doing me any favors. Oh, God, you want to see a baby get stopped by a horse, did you? Well, he's got that baby oil wax chest, and his name's Gino. I mean, he's a couple chains away from being your standard Italian-American stereotype right there. The baby gets saved at the last minute by our oily-chested Italian stereotype Gino. <laughs> Which, by the way, after describing him that way, kind of into Gino again. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> mm. The envoy comes to a halt, and our man, Vincent Price, emerges as Prospero from one of the carriages. And anybody who knows me knows that when Vincent Price talks, that's, that's going to be a clip. That's a clip. And that is our first clip. According to my custom, I have come here personally to thank you for the year's harvest. And to make sure we'll starve on what is left and to invite you to a feast to be held in a fortnight, where annually I gather about me the nobles of the countryside. And you'll throw us the scraps from your table as if we were dogs. Exactly. But these dogs have a loud bark and show their teeth. Why? An old woman met a holy man on the hill. He made a prophecy. He said the day of our deliverance was at hand. From your tyranny. Well, then shouldn't you be on your knees to give thanks? Garrot them. No, I beg of you. Mercy, mercy. Mercy in the name... The girl was addressing me. What is your name? Francesca. What do you want of me, Francesca? Forgive them. Forgive them. That is not possible. They have defied me. If my hound bites my hand after I have fed and caressed him, should I allow him to go undisciplined? Forgive him, I beg of you. How innocent you are. However, I am disposed to temper justice with mercy. So I will leave it up to you, Francesca. One must die. Which one? One is my father. The other, the man I love. Promised me entertainment, but I never hoped for this. Can such eyes ever have known sin? They will, Alfredo. They will. However, this is not for your entertainment. Even so, Francesca, you must choose. One will live, one will die. Or both will die. Now choose, Francesca, which will die? Choose. I'll take care of everything myself. Well, what is it? Look, sir, look. Red Death. 
That old woman was told the prophecy? Yes. Did you touch her? No. Or you, or you? Take them to the castle. I'll take the girl. No. You may provide us with some entertainment after all. To your horses, friend. Well then, Prospero is definitely the ultimate capitalist. What a dick. <laughs> I just love the casual way he just says, Garot them. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, it's just this offhand command, like, strangle these people with a wire until their throats split open and their heads possibly pop off. Right? I mean, in the w- certain various ways that the nobility has killed peasants, that seems to be on the harsh side. <laughs> it's very Prospero, though. Because yeah, it's, true. it's the most visually entertaining for him. So therefore, why not order that as their death? And I love sure. how quickly these guys are for the garage. They're like freaking Luca, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luca Brazzi, they're just yeah, all over yeah. that shit. <laughs> well, I doubt this is his first order to garage people. He probably just has designated gar- garotters that uh, anytime he's talking to somebody, they're just positioning themselves behind him. That is a job description that I would love. Designated garotter. <laughs> <laughs> Check the credits. Maybe there's garotter number one, garotter number two. <laughs> Weird. It says court psyops. How the hell did he do that? This was shot in the 60s. Time machine. Don't give away my secret. Sorry. (laughs) All right. So with this, Prospero decides to burn the entire village, as you do. Oh, yeah. (laughs) To the ground. Listen, when the Red Death shows up, better burn it. (laughs) But he doesn't execute the villagers to, you know, give them a way out of not having to suffer from the Red Death and die or freeze to death with the oncoming winter. He chooses the most cruel way to possibly deal with it. The huts have people that are infected, therefore burn the huts, leave everyone else. Yeah. What's wrong it's with like, that? It's almost like he's a terrible person or something. <laughs> it's almost like he's a Coke brother. Oh, hey. that's the same thing you oh. said. <laughs> hey, listen. If these people didn't want to be burnt alive or freeze to death, they shouldn't have came from a village that got the Red Death. They shouldn't have gotten sick. They should have stayed healthy. That's just the way it goes. Okay, I kind of follow your logic, but you're losing me at the part where they shouldn't have done something they had no control over. Oh, they had control over it. <laughs> you don't know these villagers. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually I'm the one victim blaming on this show for this kind of shit. (laughs) So they're burning the village to the ground and the guys drag off the young and innocent Francesca with them to the castle. Meanwhile, Gino and her father, who she could not choose which one she wanted to die, are dragged off as well. And I'm assuming that they just basically get caned up and dragged behind the envoy where she gets a nice cushy ride with Prospero because he's perving on her. Yeah. No no sense in missing words. He's perving on her. She's a redhead. Oh yeah. He's got a type. Well, it's not that she's a redhead and that he's got a type. It's that she's in innocent and he wants to corrupt her. I think he's also got a thing for redheads. Six of one, half dozen of another. Okay. (laughs) Little column A, little column B. Redhead and innocent, therefore, is very attractive to Prospero. There you go. There you go. Just like dark-haired girl looks kind of like Jennifer Connelly and innocent is what attracted me to my wife. Uh, All right. I mean... (laughs) That'll do it. (laughs) And yes, I corrupted her. Yes. But not like Prospero. No. (laughs) You mean you didn't try to make her into your satanic sex slave? Shame. I know. I'm just... I'm, I'm failing as a man because I didn't try to turn someone into a sex slave satanically. <laughs> really, that's Clearly, you need more Vincent Price in your life. Yeah, obviously. You know, I wasn't watching enough when I met her, and by the time that we started being together, I was already in love and therefore couldn't satanic sex slave. Also, the fact that oh, she wears well. the pants in this family. Oh, yeah, there's no missing words in that. <laughs> <laughs> She's in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big time. So you're, so you're her satanic sex slave. Okay, I got the Yeah, that, that's actually a better, that's actually right. That's, that's how we prefer it. <laughs> and for the record, our safe word is keep going. <laughs> I can see no flaw in that plan. That explains a lot of the scars I'm seeing today. <laughs> well, it was St. Patrick's Day, but that's not important right now. 
All right, so the Burning Village sequence is extremely fucking brutal, especially for the time frame that this movie was made in. You actually watch villagers running in panic, and some of them are on fire as well. Well, Aren't some also grabbing, like, babies out of huts and getting caught on fire? burning and stuff, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and I was kind of like, holy shit, how far do they go in these movies? Yeah, right? I don't remember it being like this, and I think the reason was I couldn't fucking see it before. Oh, yeah. Every other version of this I've ever seen couldn't really tell what the fuck was going on in a lot of cases. (laughs) And the fun part is, this isn't even the last time the movie we're going to get to see somebody burned to death but we're getting ahead of ourselves spoilers mm. wanted to point out too once the convoy or the envoy or whatever it is of prospero's groups of all these different uh carriages make it back to the castle that matte painting in the background as they're kind of working their way into the main gate for prospero's castle was really impressive that was quite beautiful and i just want oh, to yeah. give a special shout out to that because it's a lost art yeah well and that's the thing i love about these movies because even by the standards of the day these were relatively low budget films but that didn't really impact the craft behind it. Sure, they reuse sets. Sure, there's a lot of fakery that we can readily recognize with our modern eyes, and I'm sure people back in the day could also recognize. But you could tell that somebody actually put paint to canvas. There was somebody's real handiwork behind these films, and they did a damn good job on a a lot of these, especially Mask of the Red Death. Another thing to point out, too, is a lot of modern movies have started doing what they refer to as digital matte paintings, where they'll do stills like that, where they'll kind of create it from different photographic elements and things like that. Mm-hmm. But even though it's photorealistic pieces that are put together to do like a cityscape or anything like that, there's something about the look of a matte painting that makes you press the I believe button where I think it might be hardwired into our generation's brains that way. You know, even when it looks obviously fake these days, when you see it on Blu-ray, I'm looking at you a lot of the Indiana Jones films, <laughs> <laughs> particularly uh, Temple of Doom at the end where the water's coming out and they're yeah, oh, just yeah. off to the side. It's so obviously yeah. Yeah. painting like you can really really tell but some of these are actually quite breathtaking and quite beautiful and for being a low budget film they put the money where it counts because this matte painting looks incredible and they do different versions of it there's one that's like dusk or twilight or whatever and then there's an evening time one that we see later too you know where people are arriving and i just you got to point this stuff out because it's a dead art man yeah <laughs> all right so once at the castle francesca is stripped and then bathed against her will we do kind of get a glimpse of some boob here and there in the film but it's not a thank you because this is not willing that she's being bathed in such a manner so kind yeah. of uncomfortable no thanks movie. a little bit <laughs> yeah thanks anyway movie but uh you thanks know, but no thanks we draw a hard line of consent on this show and i think that's a pretty good line to keep yeah well, <laughs> and, and we're really putting ourselves out there by going on that that's a hard line we're willing to stand for in this modern climate it kind of is <laughs> but it's a good line to keep folks <laughs> all right so prospero ends up watching this entire time and he comes in creeping and laughing and as we've said it before and I'll say it again Vincent Price is talking folks so that's our next clip (laughs) modesty but no humility Gino my father where are they why do you hide yourself it's not right that you should look at me that cross you wear around your neck is it only a decoration or are you a true Christian believer yes I believe truly and I want you to remove it at once and never to wear it within this castle again she isn't going is she always to be bathed in my bedroom we'll find you another room Juliana. Meanwhile, you will dress the Lady Francesca in one of your finest gowns. I don't... Later, you can instruct her in the ways of the court. Please, my father. Oh, yes, your father. Your father and your lover are being quartered in a warm and safe place. Now I must join my guests. You may think that you have impressed the Prince Prospero, but you can count on little help from me. You will do as he told you? Yes, as we all must do. I will do what I must to save my men. But if they are killed, I will die. 
And so will Prince Prospero. All right, gotta say, uh, kind of digging on Juliana a little bit in this movie. Yeah, you kind of have to. It's Hazel Court, and she is absolutely gorgeous in this film. And just in general, but there's particular scenes and particular looks and uh, just sort of like these like death stares where it's not so much jealousy. It's a, hey, wait a minute, you're going to take my place, and I don't like that, where mm. she's like jockeying for position. Yeah. And this like ruthless way about her, the whole entire film, the character, I just love that. <laughs> so cutthroat. All right, so this actually leads to a scene of let's just call it debauchery as Prospero espounds on the definition of terror and I guess to him it's the knowledge of time passing to the inevitability of death and not being able to escape that he goes on about how the ticking of a clock is similar to the beating of our hearts where it kind of winds down with time or something along those lines and it's quite poetic from the sounds of it it feels like it's taken out of the post story (laughs) yeah I have not read that in a long time but it feels like that but it feels like it's just kind of been twisted to sort of fit this little soliloquy you know I mean yeah. you gotta give Vincent Price something to work with yeah. here <laughs> you don't hire a guy like Vincent Price and not give him excessive amounts of dialogue and speeches that's true you just don't do it yeah and the, the gym behind that or at least one of them was uh, Charles Beaumont who I've been getting very acquainted with his work through a rewatch I've been doing of the Twilight Zone in conjunction with the very excellent podcast I'm gonna put in a plug here for some buddies of mine uh, the Strange Highways podcast where they're doing each episode as an episode of the Twilight zone and Beaumont wrote a ton a ton of episodes for the Twilight Zone and some some classics along there so when I saw his name pop up in this it's like that explains a couple things especially his flair for dialogue there's that and he also you can feel the the little pieces of not necessarily the irony but like the twist in stories that ends up happening with mm-hmm. the Twilight Zone you feel those threads as they start to interlock as they're being woven together to come up with the final ending that you get it did feel like a sort of extended Twilight Zone episode to me with yeah, I mean, he, I can totally see it. He, and he definitely had the sensibility to pull this off. And uh, apparently one of his major contributions to the script that kind of got uh, Corman's attention for it was the uh, casting of Prince Prospero as a Satanist, which was something not from the original Poe story, but definitely forms a very major hook in this particular film. Yeah, and we'll get a little bit deeper into that as we go, too, because the juxtaposition between Francesca's faith and Prospero's faith is definitely something that I find extremely fascinating, again, particularly for the time frame that these movies were set in. Yeah. This, oh, hell yeah. This Corman post cycle with Vincent Price, you know, it's the main characters or one of the main focuses, whether he's the main baddie or the, the main protagonist, like he was kind of both in Hounded Palace that we covered. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love this whole entire way that they go about sneaking these little references in just under the wire and doing these little just comparative things with, you know, the discussion of, of the storyline, like particularly in this one, we've got the opposition of faith and, mm-hmm. you know, who ends up winning that battle or do either of them win? We'll, we'll get into that too. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll get there because there's so much of this stuff that I feel is woven through here. And on top of that, you get this crazy visual symbolism that's almost telling a third story on top of these other two that we're seeing. <laughs> That's true. Very true. Because we have this main storyline of the Mask of the Red Death of everything that's kind of happening. And then we have the added storyline with Prospero being a Satanist and how he's grooming her to become part of that with that, you know, layered over top of the Mask of the Red Death. And then we have the symbolism with what's going on with the colors and the actual Red Death itself and what that represents in conjunction with this faith. And then they even go ahead and add in a whole other thing, which we're about to talk about. This Mm -hmm. this scene ends up actually bringing in another storyline because that 
that actually introduces Esmeralda and Hop Toad, which Hop Toad is another story of, of, of Poe's, which they, they throw in here to kind of pad out the storyline and move the film along. So that's actually not part of the Red Death, but it fits so perfectly in here with the type of person that Prospero is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. And when I first saw this film, it was after I had already read quite a few of the uh, Poe stories and the story of Hop Frog. I don't know why they changed it to Hop Toad in the movie, but Hop Frog was always one of my favorites because just this classic revenge story. You know, the court jester that everybody picked on, he got his come up against those bullies. And as a kid who was bullied back in the day, you can uh, empathize with that. You can get behind it. You can say, hey, fuck yeah, burn all of them to death because it is the quintessential getting one back at the people that oppressed you. And it, it resonated for me as a kid. And it was interesting to see it integrated into this uh, film as well. I completely agree. As a matter of fact, anything that I would have had to say about the appeal for this character of Hop Toad in the movie versus how it goes in the story, just go back, listen to everything that Goro had to say, and then play it back in a slightly less sexy voice. And that's exactly how I'm going to say it. <laughs> there you go. Or at least I wish I could say it that yeah. eloquently. So there you go. <laughs> All right. So after Hop Toad and Esmeralda come into the dance hall area, they're going to do a performance. And it looks like they have some type of a wolfhound that's in a desperate need of a trim. <laughs> And why that's with them, I don't know. Never factors into the dance. <laughs> Just because it's a fucking wolfhound and it looks cool, I guess. Probably. All right, so they end up doing this little dance routine, or at least Esmeralda is doing this dance routine, and it's a bit of a ballet. goes on for a little while. Not that it's not, you know, entertaining or anything. It's just not my thing, and I don't really want to watch a little kid pretending to be an adult little person dance. Can we just talk about that for a minute? I know, that's um, weird. I couldn't tell if it... Was it a little kid? Was it actually a little person? I'm, I I couldn't tell. Um, um, that was something that's always bothered me for a while and I actually went into some of the special features and took a look at the Corman interview and that's one of the things that they talk about. Apparently he had had fully intended to hire a little person, you know, a female that could dance and could do some of this ballet stuff, but time, budget constraints and all of that made it to where that wasn't possible. So he just found someone that was around the same height as the actor who played Hop Toad that was a, a young girl and just basically dubbed her voice to play as if she's an adult. So it's kind of a reverse of all those slasher movies that we see where 40 year old people are playing teenagers yeah that's yeah, right I guess so just <laughs> and it makes sense i'm just glad that they didn't objectify her she was just dancing and that's yeah. it i mean yeah she did get a pretend slap well yeah mm -hmm. we're, we're about that we're about that i know we're not Dur there yet i'm just saying during her dance she ends up knocking over alfredo's wine what a perfect name for a character like that right <laughs> i knew it was you alfredo i knew i knew it was you the whole time <laughs> you broke my heart <laughs> You put my Alfredo. <laughs> well, she spills his wine, so he does what any guy named Alfredo apparently would do in this yeah. situation. He backhands her so strong, he ends up sending her to the floor. What a dick. Like a fucking asshole. And you recognize the actor who played Alfredo, right? Uh, absolutely. He. What I recognize him the most from is Clockwork Orange as the author who was victimized and then paralyzed by Alex and his gang. Oh, wine! <laughs> <laughs> my wife is dead! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Good old Patrick McGee. All right. So this ends up bringing Hop Toad's anger by watching, I'm assuming, the woman that he loves, because they're supposed to be a couple, get backhanded and mistreated in such a way. That cruelty is not something that he's willing to let go. And he ends up actually getting ready to draw a dagger, but he looks to Prospero, who gives him a look like, no, not right now. And this ends up calming him to where he puts the dagger away and just sits there seething with hatred. You can see it on his face. That actor did a really good job with that. It almost looks like he's like panting and trying to keep keep himself like yeah 
Yeah. I'm gonna fucking kill you. I'm gonna rage. You can almost think that you see his teeth grinding, like, or maybe I'm just reading into it too much, but I just really felt that moment when he puts the dagger back. Yeah. I thought he did a fantastic job in this film, so uh, you could certainly feel that anger in that scene. And Alfredo then ends up declaring that if she were full-sized, she would drown them all in wine, so if you had any more reason to need to hate Alfredo, I think that pretty much covers it. Yes, pretty much. Besides watching him backhand a little person for spilling wine. I know. What a dick. What is he, my father? Ooh. Wait. Wait, are you alright? Yeah, I'm good. I'm are good. they okay? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah? I said I'm fucking fine! Okay. Alright, so Prospero takes this opportunity to announce the pending masquerade in our next clip. Well, my first novelty seems to have failed. However, on the Sabbath at midnight, for your amusement, there will be a masquerade. The wardrobes of the castle are yours to you. But I beg of you, even for the humor of it, do not wear red. (laughs) You go too far. I am not without influence and power against the Red Death. Yes. Yes, it came to the village. Even now, it lays waste the countryside. So you can count yourselves fortunate that you are here in this castle under the protection of Prince Prospero. May I present the Lady Francesca? Meanwhile, continue with your merrymaking. Act according to your natures. Signor Veronese, (laughs) you do little but eat and swill and dream of other things. How like a pig you are. (laughs) Be one. (laughs) <laughs> you, Senor Lambrede, huh? you laugh at this poor pig, huh? While you are small and insignificant, no more than a worm. Can you be a worm, Lambrede? Huh? <laughs> Senorita Escobar, do you hear how she laughs? It is like nothing so much as a praying jackass. <laughs> be one. You, Senor Rimini. Ride that jackass to market. As for the rest of you, use your imaginations. Show me the lives and loves of the animals. All right, so Prospero definitely knows how to fucking party. And it's, yeah. it's been my experience that most Satanists do. Um, all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've met some pretty lame Satanists in my day. Ooh. Must be one of those ones that are like all about, you know, purifying the body and doing the whole temple thing because they only have a certain amount of time on this earth. Tupperware I mean, party. <laughs> if, if you're going to worship the great goat, you they think you'd actually throw down a little bit. But no, it was all about, all about the advancement of, of my spiritual life. Fuck that. Let's have a party. You put on the metal man yeah yeah i'm i'm more of the indulgence rather than uh denial part exactly of it. i got mm-hmm. it I, I can get behind that yeah we all we all can get behind that we part all of can Satanism. get behind it <laughs> oh, oh i can get behind somebody behind named it. indulgence yeah. oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> good d we would lock indulgence in the devil's three-way man yeah <laughs> I wanted to point out, too, this thing that he's doing here at the party that I, I put in the clip, and I truncated it down because he has them acting like animals, and it goes on for a while while everybody's laughing, and then he keeps adding people to it. One of the tenements for Satanism is to basically appeal to your animalistic nature and desires and just act as you would if you were an animal or a creature without a soul, or at least in the Levian context of Satanism. I like that this film follows that. Yeah. And he is actually doing that. You can actually watch him doing this with his party guests where he is breaking them down 
down and removing the barriers and binds of societal norms and how they should be behaving and having them just basically appeal to their more baser, disgusting selves. And his ultimate goal in this is to use that also to break Francesca down and remove her from all that is good, holy, and pure and basically make her like him. And I'm not going to lie, never noticed that until this watching with a more critical eye and really taking the notes and trying to find, you know, subtext and things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now that I've seen that and I can't unsee it, this film has shot up in my estimation so much more just from that scene alone <laughs> in doing the and, notes. And it makes sense because in the 60s, you know, Anton LaVey would have been this strong countercultural figure. You know, he was getting a lot of attention. So if people were going to kind of do a contemporary view of Satanism, it makes sense they would draw from from his own teachings, his own traditions. And even if they weren't, of like say they're going with the more Aleister Crawley based style stuff, there's still a lot of his teachings in the way that this is going. It's ambiguous enough to where it could be either or, but I'm just laying it on more of the LeVay and stuff because I've read more about him than I have Crawley. Mm -hmm. All right, so <laughs> all the guests begin acting like animals as we talked about, and he's saying apply to your more base animal selves or what have you, do what do what comes to you. And a lot of the things that he's saying, it basically boils down to do what thou will shall be the whole of the law is what he's getting at with this party already. Yeah. Which is basically the main rule of Satanism, mm -hmm. according to Anton LaVey's style. But uh, that also comes back to Aleister Crawley as well. Prospero ends up leading Francesca from this area where all of the guests are getting their debauch on to a completely yellow room and then espouses his personal philosophy even further with her. I started really digging a lot of this stuff because the, once again, Anton LaVey style Satanism or Aleister Crowley teachings come across in this really, really deep. Yeah. And the fact that they switched it from other colors to yellow for the very first room triggered my, is this a King and Yellow reference button? Mm. <laughs> Which uh, we'll kind of talk about after our next clip. Francesca, my father imprisoned a friend of his in this room for three years. When he was released, he could never again bear to look at the sun or even a daffodil. How cruel. Cruel? It was simply a test to prove how easily a man's mind can be controlled and twisted. My family have always been interested in such things. Somewhere in the human mind, my dear Francesca, is the key to our existence. My ancestors tried to find it, to open the door that separates us from our creator. But you need no doors to find God. If you believe... Believe? If you believe, my dear Francesca, you are gullible. Can you look around this world and believe in the goodness of a god who rules it? Famine, pestilence, war, disease, and death, they rule this world. There is also love and life and hope. Very little hope, I assure you. No. If a god of love and life ever did exist, he is long since dead. Someone, something rules in his place. No. No, that room is not open to you. Not yet. What's in there? You look as though... Is there something to fear in that room? For the uninvited, there is much to fear. This has been a trying day for you. You must sleep. You must sleep. Tomorrow you may see Gino and your father. Prince Prospero, why do you roam the late night corridor? Sleep eludes me. You have disturbing thoughts? And you, Giuliana, what keeps you awake? I think my thoughts dwell on the same subject as you, the peasant girl. She has a perfect faith. So do I in you and in what you believe. I've been an eager student, but I've held back from the final ceremony. And now I'm ready to join you at the invocation. Oh, truly realistic women are. <laughs> Finally, you are ready to dare the most terrible rites and incantations to secure your position here. <laughs> I wonder. 
I wonder if she is ready to dare as much or anything for the sake of love. What I was kind of talking about here, the color schemes have changed a little bit. I can't remember what they are in the short story, but I know that yellow wasn't one of them. In the short story, as far as the analysis goes, if I remember it correctly in high school, uh, from, one of, from one of my literary classes, it was the stages of life and then death. So it starts off with like a happier color, which represents like the beginning of life or what have you. You work your way up and then white represented like old age and then purple was the next to the last, which was like impending death or something like that. And then finally the black room was death. Now, I know that just because it's a yellow room doesn't mean it's a direct reference to the king in yellow but i still kind of feel that way whenever he talks about how his father locked a man in this room for three years and just left him there where it's all of this yellow to the point where the guy could not bear to look at anything that was even remotely that shade of yellow and that just feels like the yellow sign or even the play the king in yellow that takes place with the the, th the different tales that are woven around robert chambers book it feels like this is kind of what they're referencing just a little bit like a little sly almost like a side load Cody style of, of the king in yellow like hey this is a thing <laughs> it also could be a reference to the short story that um, oh god who did that I think it may have been Charlotte Gilman called the yellow wallpaper which is about a woman who's slowly going insane around this yellow wallpaper in her house oh yeah okay uh, been a long story? time yes that was one of those uh, must reads on the, the high school stuff I kind of remember it just <laughs> vaguely it's probably that. not been since high school since I read it <laughs> Yeah. Jesus, man. Our our uh, literary teachers, if they actually would hear this, would be like, wow, we got through to them. We got through to these guys. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? No, you didn't. Yeah. But anyway, they did change it a little bit where the, the symbolism of the rooms is kind of lost because the white room is actually right before the black room. And I think the yeah. reason they did that is for the contrasting of color theory because they couldn't really afford more than those four rooms. And racism. <laughs> well, no, I think it's the contrasting. Oh. Oh, okay. They did yellow and purple because they are opposite colors on the color yes. wheel and they do contrast perfectly. And then they did black and white because in the monochromatic way of thinking when all color is removed, that is the exact opposite that you get. Yeah. There's no in between, you know, besides the shades gray. So I think that's kind of the route that they were going. But in a lot of cases, white symbolizes death and the like black would symbolize like sort of a hereafter or the void beyond. Mm -hmm. Either way, regardless of how you want to do it, the black room that would symbolize the great beyond being the ritual chamber for Prospero is fucking genius. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because most Satanists I know, their ritual chamber's black anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. That just, that just kind of works with it. You, you wouldn't imagine it being in a pink room, would you? Well, actually knowing some Satanists, yes. Uh, all I know is all of my favorite indulgences usually end up with pink colors, so. <laughs> <laughs> well played. When I sin, I sin real good. Yeah. It's all the same color when the lights are out. <laughs> <laughs> or the blindfold and gags in place. There you you go. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Keep talking about it. No, no, Slowly. I'm, I'm, re oh, yeah. I'm referencing oh, yeah, yeah, my yeah, safe yeah. word that was the joke from earlier. Uh, so there we go. Yeah. All right. Or <laughs> <laughs> you, as sexy as that is, you can podcast with that ball gag in, bud. No, you got, oh, 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 yeah, better now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Send pictures. <laughs> yes, please. Flatten <laughs> our DMs. Will you? We, we we won't use them for nefarious purposes. I totally will. Oh yeah, of course you will. <laughs> so the camera ends up coming to rest on the black doors there, and you don't know what's in there. Just yet. Now, those of you that have seen the film before, and I'd hope that you've seen it before, you hear us talk about it and ruin everything that's great about the movie. Uh, <laughs> the ritual chamber itself, like I said, having that be in the black room and the way that he hints at for those that are uninitiated or for those that are not prepared, it's very dangerous to go into that room. Yeah. Yeah. I really love he the way that He acted the shit out of that scene, too. Vincent Price. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I'm just saying. It was really great. Awesome to see how he went from overtly confident and sinister to scared as shit of that room. It wasn't that he was scared of the room. It was he was scared of her with her absolute faith entering the room because yeah. it could ruin everything that he has been working so hard to bring with this party. I guess that's a fact, but it still was great. To that's well acted. That's my interpretation. Yeah. Like I don't. Yeah, that's mine as well. I don't. I mean, you can see it however you want. Like, yeah. there's definitely something that causes him great fear with the thought of her crossing that threshold at that moment. Yes, and whatever that is, because he almost turns kind at that point. There are moments when he does actually yeah. have great kindness. I think it's because he has a weakness for this particular girl. This innocence. Yeah. yeah. The, the innocent redhead. Yep. It's it was beauty that calmed the beast. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works, man. That's what happened to me. That's all I'm saying. After that clip, we actually see the camera cut from this to what appears to be Francesca sleeping in bed. Now, the camera is kind of panning around a little bit to give you the scope of this beautiful, gorgeous room that she's sleeping in. And then it sort of dollies in a little bit. And then we get the inclination that maybe somebody's kind of creeping up on her or creeping around her room. And then she wakes to the sound of this weird creaking sound and then something that sounds like the flapping of wings. I assumed they were bat wings, but you know, it could have been something demonic or nefarious or something along those lines. She gets up to go investigate and she ends up finding that it looks like a night robe or something like that was rocking back and forth from the wind. Now, as beautiful as this bedroom is, the design is deeply flawed for a non-California or Southern California climate. Right. It's just fully open to a balcony, no windows that close that off. Nothing that seals it off is just right open to a balcony in the open air. Yeah, man. It's a good place to take a nap on a summer's day. It's a get, horrible place to have a bedroom in the dead of winter. You're going to get pneumonia. You cannot have that shit in Nebraska. No. <laughs> you, you will die. You couldn't get away with that, like, north of, you know. <laughs> the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah. You couldn't. You just couldn't do it. And south of the Mason-Dixon line, you wouldn't want to do it because of all the creepy crawlies. Yeah, right. <laughs> You'd want at least some screens on that. There's there are very little places you could get away with that kind of a room. <laughs> do that kind of a room in Australia, you're dead within an hour. <laughs> Everything's screened off for your protection, <laughs> yeah, including please, sidewalks. Listen, if it ain't the heat, it's going to be the first thing that crawls in there that devours you. Or slithers. You yeah, know. whatever. Yeah, totally. All right, so she then, after noticing that it was her house coat, goes back from this investigation and finds that her cross is completely missing from her nightstand. And where it should be is a puddle of blood in the shape of the cross. Mm. Not going to lie, that was fucking awesome to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of punched the air and went, yeah! Good, good God. Don't bring him up here. <laughs> Your God has no place in this podcast. After noticing the crucifix is gone and being replaced with the outline of blood, she hears chanting of Prospero echoing from afar and grabs that house coat that we had noticed from earlier and she goes off to explore. Brave but very foolish girl. Yeah, right? Every, you know what? All three of like the what you would consider the, 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 the three villagers they brought are all three mm. very brave yet very foolish <laughs> in almost all of their decisions. I would say that Gino's more foolhardy than foolish. Yeah. I think he leaps before he looks. Yes, because he like just talks to, you know, talks down to everyone or gives them shit, which the people he's talking to, they deserve that shit, but it's like, you know, if you could plan an overthrow a little bit easier by not, you know, being this beacon of noise, drawing all the attention to yourself. It's punk rock, man. He's putting the middle finger up in the face of the establishment, spitting in their eye and saying, go ahead, fucking do something. I guess. And when they do, he fucking takes it like a champ for the most part. Yeah. And he's defiant to the end man and as much as i am enjoying seeing a man all oiled up like that clip <laughs> 
you gotta love his fucking just gumption, man. Yeah. That sheer fuck you, I won't do what you're gonna tell me I, to I do. I get shit. that, but it doesn't help overthrow anything. Yes, it does. It doesn't. You get enough people standing up and saying, fuck you, I won't move. Yeah. You can't get things through. No. He was <laughs> getting all those people together, though. I'm just saying. That's because they're all panicky and they're afraid and there need to be more Genos. <laughs> and at least in the context of the film, all of his rebellions, all of his resistance, yeah, it, it, it amounts to nothing. Everybody dies. Yeah. Well, yeah, but yeah. At, the, at the same route, while that's completely nihilistic, at least he died on his feet, so to speak. This I mean, is true. Yeah. Even if he were to have died, at least he I'm died on his saying, feet or at least he died doing what saying, he did. I'm just saying things could have been Very easier true. for him and he still could have fought the system by not doing what he did. I'm just saying sometimes being a hothead isn't going to help you out. Oh, I'm not going to disagree with that. All right. Yeah. All right. So she's following to find where this chanting is occurring at and she wants to see what's going on with this ritual and where it's coming from. She goes down the hallway from where her room is then down the staircase and into the main uh, sort of like ballroom chamber where all of the partying takes place. The cinematography in this is simply breathtaking. It's absolutely beautiful, especially when she makes it from the ballroom to the four colored rooms of the various ritual chambers and then continues to sort of follow those invocation sounds the entire time. This whole entire sequence just screams, this is where Suspiria came from to me. <laughs> uh, you probably wouldn't be far off because this is definitely, a lot of people will talk about um, a contemporary this time, somebody like Mario Bava and his use of strong primary colors, but not enough conversation is given to Mask of the Red Death and at least not within the same breath as Mario Bava. But to me, they exist on the same continuum. They are on the same level. And I would say that a lot of people probably give Mario Bava the credit because they look at him more as the auteur or the artist who is making the films for the love of making films. And that's absolutely true. But at the same time, he was also a businessman. He made the types of pictures that he made because he knew they would sell. That's why he did a lot of the horror that did. They're all amazing films. And I absolutely love Mario Bava. But at the same time, I think the same people that are extending their pinky and drinking tea talking so wonderfully about Mario Bava are looking at Roger Corman and looking down their nose saying that he's a commercial filmmaker and they ignore not only this but his entirety of the Poe cycle which is every bit as beautiful and breathtaking and wonderfully shot as you could get. <laughs> well, without, without a doubt and while again the reputation of Corman has improved over the years if you, you one needs only look at the criticism of the day to find a lot of negative views against him. Well that's one of the things that uh happens to be wonderful about being a film fan and diving into a bygone era and finding these unappreciated gems and then holding them aloft and saying, you missed this, it's your fault. Damn right. All right, so she crosses through the yellow, purple, and then white rooms into the black room to find what I wrote in my notes is a modest ritual chamber. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice, it's a modest ritual chamber, nice white picket fence, you know. Granted, it, feel, it feels like it should be on the real estate listing. Yeah. Modest it's a ritual modest, chamber. It's not gaudy like some of those other ritual chambers you see on TV. Right. It's, it's modest. It's certainly more modest than a lot of ritual chambers I've spent some time in. Of course. But you're a gaudy bitch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, now say that like you're, you're, you're meaning it to be degrading. <laughs> <laughs> you gaudy bitch. All right. I'm liking that. <laughs> now, the thing that I do love about this is the ritual chamber is actually lit by red stained glass. There's like a porthole yeah. window that mm -hmm. catches light and it looks like it's designed Talk more about that porthole it's a stained glass porthole mm -hmm. red glass oh. the color of blood mm. <laughs> 
<laughs> and from the design of it, it looks like it's actually designed to catch moonlight yeah. at a specific point where the moon might be in the sky for whatever ritualistic purposes, and it's only right there. And as you can tell by the fact that the room is lit completely with this red light, and it just covers the entirety of the room, there is something about this specific time frame for the rituals that Prospero is doing, for me anyway, the reason why the room is lit so well and why all of this stuff has to happen now, despite the fact of the Red Death being all around him. Yeah. That's hmm. that's my guess. I'm making it sound like I know a lot more about this kind of stuff than I should. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have been in some gaudy, which, gaudy ritual rooms, so... Lord knows I have been in some gaudy ritual chambers in my time. <laughs> yeah, I know. And by ritual chambers, I mean Matt. <laughs> <laughs> she sees Prospero laid out, apparently dead, on what looks like a sacrificial table with Juliana sitting in the chair, looking amazing and just kind of almost like she's chanting under her breath the way that she's looking like she's in some kind of a, a ritualistic uh, trance or something along those lines. And she walks over and touches Prospero and he wakes up scaring the shit out of her. And I'm not going to lie myself this time. That jump scare <laughs> got me. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> right as it happens. Oh, yeah. Now you call for him mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when the chips are down <laughs> actually what I what I yelled at the time was Vincent Price but I didn't Vincent think Price. Understand that <laughs> Vincent Price. this ends up terrifying her and apparently me so she runs off back through the rooms of color up the hallway and to her room to be terrorized by Alfredo the ultimate asshole of this film who gets super rapey on her after he drops the mask and gets all hot about how he scared her but the film dissolves away before we can find out anything going on with that to the following day so thank you for that small favor movie but i don't know what's happening there it was just such an abrupt cut i mean it made me almost think that uh there was something more to it but the censors of the day demanded that it be trimmed down well considering the cruelty and the wanton disregard that we have already witnessed in just the first portion of this film that we've already covered i'm thinking that watching alfredo get all greasy rapey on top of francesca would not necessarily be the route that this movie wants to go if anything he should have made a move and then Prospero should have stopped if they were going to leave that in. Yeah. But at this point, I think that if she were to be assaulted, that would take away a portion of her innocence of being, you know, treated yeah. in such a way to where it would ruin what Prospero is trying to achieve. So I think thematically, he doesn't even need to be there other than a quick scare. Mm-hmm. And they should have at least shown her running away before they dissolved. Yeah, right. Something. Because I just got this creepy feeling like, oh Christ, what just happened? Now then he just stood there, laughed creepily, <laughs> back into the shadows. And then he's like, would you like more wine? <laughs> My wife, she's dead. <laughs> oh, Alfredo. Every time I see that actor, that's every lie that he ever says at Clockwork Orange. <laughs> All right, so they dissolve from that to the following day as Prospero shows off his falcon. That's not symbolic in any way, shape, or form. He's not showing off his bird. (laughs) Well, he's definitely flipping the bird. Yeah, he does. He throws that bird up into the air for all to see. Yep. And it runs off and kills a pigeon like my bird does. Yeah, wait, what? You have a bird? Yeah, and then it returns it to my feet. What kind of a bird is it? It's a detachable penis. It goes off and kills birds for me. Okay, that's just strange now. Have you not heard? About the bird? (laughs) The bird is the word. Oh, here we go. Goddammit. Surfing bird! 
after having the Falcon return a dead pigeon to his feet, that leads to our next clip. You know how Falcon is trained, my dear? Her eyes are sewn shut. Blinded temporarily, she suffers the whims of her god patiently until her will is submerged and she learns to serve. Thus your god taught and blinded you with cross. You had me take off my cross because it offended... It offended no one. My master and his followers look about with open eye. No, it simply appeared to me to be discourteous to, uh, to wear the symbol of a deity long dead. Your master? Satan, the lord of flight, the fallen angel. Come. Who seeks entrance to Prince Prospero's castle? Prospero's invited guests. Open the gate at once. It is the prince himself who speaks to you, Scarlatti. You are no longer welcome here. <laughs> really? <laughs> I know your whims, but... The village is full of the Red Death. The Red Death? Prince Prospero, I beg you. Allow us, Haven. I beg. Sanctuary. This is no church. By any god in all the gods of time, I beg you. My wife, you've always thought her beautiful. I knew you desired her. I watched your eyes following her. This Scarlatti thought of himself as a good man in many things. And he thought of his wife as pure and unassailable. I give her to you to do with as you please. I've already had that doubtful pleasure. Prince, spare me the red I beg you, in the name of friendship. In the name of friendship! No! For you, friend. Madam, spare yourself the red death. After this, the knife gets tossed down where he tells Madam to spare herself, and this ends up cutting to the sword falling in the dungeon, which was a really nice clip. Yeah. Where the, the way that they cut nice that. Nice little cut there. You follow, yeah, the knife, you follow the knife down, and then it jumps immediately to the sword falling. And for a second, you go, whoa, that was a ga- Oh, or somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, something else is happening. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those, uh, I think they usually refer to those as like a seamless edit almost, where you don't notice it happening until it does, because your brain actually thinks that, logically speaking, we're seeing the knife drop yeah and it tricks you into realizing oh wait i'm somewhere else you see that a lot in transitions of like uh whenever they want to do magical stuff where somebody will snap their fingers and then like they'll turn the camera around Mm -hmm. and they focus on the snap and then when it's over with the snap is somewhere else yeah Mm -hmm. what have you one of those kind of things all right enough movie talk about (laughs) trick (laughs) photography and all of that fun all right so after the knife toss turns into a sword dropping in the dungeon we then see that it is gino and he is being forced to train to learn how to fight because apparently there is going to be entertainment of Prospero's guests where the two of them, Gino and Francesca's father, have to fight to the death. That seems like a bit excessive for a punishment for mouthing off. That's a dick move. (laughs) As someone who is prone to mouthing off to authority figures, I kind of feel a little sorry for Gino right now. Yeah, right. So they're going to have to fight to the death for Prospero's guests. This means that they have to be trained by the guards to fight in order to put on a good show because they're villagers. Neither one has really picked up a sword. Wow. Almost like they've been drafted into service to die for the amusement of the rich. Mm, message. <laughs> Considering was... the era with Vietnam, yep. might be there. Yep. And it's not as if Roger Corman ever shied away from those sort of political messages. Though he tended to uh, hide them after the relative uh, failure of his movie The Intruder. That's the one with William Shatner where he's the demagogue in the South, right? Exactly. And after that, Corman said, if I'm going to have a political subtext, we are going to to 
uh, obscure it. Yeah, yeah. That the Intruder was the only movie he never made money on. Exactly. Well, Though eventually he did end yeah. up making money when they when it got re released into theaters. Yeah, and in, then, like a couple years ago. And then DVD and stuff like that. He finally made it back, but that was the only one he initially lost money on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you get two Corman nerds just talking about I Corman. Know, man, you guys are going nuts. <laughs> I know. Gino refuses to fight or even be trained to fight. The guard then threatens his life. Gino, being the loudmouth that he is, knows that Prospero wants to have him die for the pleasure of his guests and says that the guard cannot kill him. I was really like, yeah, you fucking go, man. Yeah, fuck <laughs> you. Now at this point, let your mouth get you in as much trouble as you want. You know, you're already captured. It's Yeah, he's going to die but, here no matter yeah, what. Yeah, so it's time to start talking shit. Yeah, at this point when Gino starts mouthing off, it's like, yeah, dude, this is where you really see what Gino's actually made of because the guard cuts him and continues to cut him and it's not until the anger raises up within him that he decides to fight back and when you see that furious anger strike out and go after the guard he almost turns into a wild beast himself where he goes after the guy and you're like holy shit Gino yeah right you got some issues to work out there Gino, Gino uh, like uh, the inner anger really got unlocked and he started fighting back and that ends up being when Prospero brings in Francesca who sees him in this manner and seems almost shocked and somewhat appalled at the level of violence that he was capable of and actually ends up begging for this to stop but her excuse is that Gino has no idea how to fight but did anybody else get that inclination when she first sees things that she's like that is not the man that I love kind of thing yeah something like that exactly. this isn't no longer the simple farmer who I fell in love with now he's a fucking maniac and it's another one of uh, Prospero's uh, temptations or corruptions of her character because just as he showed that these noble people can be reduced to beasts so too can the person that she loves also be reduced to a beast-like state. And as anyone who has ever had someone that they deeply care about turn into that just uncontrollable rage that you've never seen before, that initial shock of seeing something like that, it leaves a mark on you. You never really get over watching someone be that far out of control, particularly no, no. particularly someone as delicate as Francesca. I believe <laughs> seeing Gino get into this state is probably not something that she will be able to shake for quite a while, and it definitely seems like it shakes her to her core. This gets Prospero off as she starts begging for this to stop and we get that wonderful little sly Vincent Price grin where he's <laughs> he's being kind of cheeky and he's very clearly a sadist where she's like begging it to stop and he just seems like I think he's doing quite fine or something along those lines <laughs> Gino ends up seeing Francesco drops the sword and attempts to rush to her and then is continuing to refuse to fight from this point and I like how they pull swords on him to keep him away from her yeah mm-hmm. but then her father is in the background and she turns around and hugs her father no one protests no one's upset about that no one really cares or tries to stop that doesn't uh, stop the virtue right it's exactly yeah that has nothing to do with what's going on there but if she embraces her love she will immediately start to feel a little bit better about the situation have some of those emotions come back whereas she's being held at bay from being able to embrace him to make everything okay for both of them and that's just another way that Prospero is using both of them yes to bring them down to their base selves he is a fucking evil mastermind genius yes he really is and again never appreciated it on this level at all till I watched it this time <laughs> and I love that when that happens for me when I get to find a new reason to fall in love with a movie a new thing to appreciate yeah absolutely because I just usually let the movie wash over me and just experience it and I never really look until it's time for the review yeah <laughs> and that's the thing well Vincent Price has played so many villainous characters throughout the, the the years and at least in modern commentary a lot of people will call out Witchfinder General is one of his finest villainous roles and while I certainly have a whole hell of a lot of love for that on another level I also enjoy 
what he does is Prospero. Yes, he's uh, somewhat camp. Yes, he's somewhat arch. Yes, he's a bit over the top in his stuff. But there is still that undercurrent that he's playing with that while he does allow himself to go broad, so much of his villainy is just with a raise of an eyebrow or just a smirk that he'll give. And it just further solidifies him as one of the true great talents of the horror genre. No, I completely agree, man. I mean, there's a lot of subtlety in what he does that people miss because of the playing to the back of the theater moments that he has during his speeches when he gets very grandiose. But when he's reacting to the other actors around him, he's extremely generous in his facial expressions, his body movements and what he does. He's giving for everybody in this Mm. scene. Whenever the embracing is going on, he almost has this look of, oh no, you know, don't let that happen. And then he kind of signals to the guards and the guards stop it. You can kind of actually see him do that where just a quick nod of the head and everybody jumps to play to make that happen. And it's super subtle. Like you just think that the guards are just reacting because they thought he was rushing for Prospero. But that's not how I read it. And maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. I'm blinded by my love for Price. Yes. (laughs) This is fair. But that's a love you can be blinded by. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I won't argue with that. If loving Vincent Price is wrong, I don't ever want to be right. That's right. That's just all there is to it. There you go. Francesca ends up hugging her father. And at this point, Gino lays some science on Prospero about how they won't fight no matter what. They can't make them, even if they kill them. And because he can't make them fight, the only thing that he has left is to threaten them with torture. But if he does this, he automatically loses in the eyes of the people that he's already promised this battle for. And Prospero says that, well, you're right, but he will figure out a way to make this happen to where they will still become the spectacle that he wants. Then Prospero leads Francesca away from all of this. And because it's been too long since our last clip, that's also our next clip. (laughs) No, this way, my dear. It would be better. I understand life is often ugly. But to torture men, is this what your master Satan demands as worship? These cells are very old. A hundred years ago, an ancestor of mine was a Christian monk. He was made examiner of an early inquisition. He tortured over 600 men, women, and children in order to save their souls for your god of love. I cannot answer. I have no learning. But then is Satan a god of hate? Oh no, of reality, of truth. The world lives in pain and despair, but is at least kept alive by a few dedicated men. If we lost our power, chaos would engulf everything. Sometimes that power must be used to teach harsh lessons. But I don't want to learn, I'm afraid. I do not want to hurt you, my dear. Can't you understand? I want to help save your soul so you can join me in the glories of hell. No, never. The way is not easy, I know, but I will take you by the hand and lead you through the cruel light into the velvet darkness. Lord Satan, he who is known as Belial by the ancient demon lover of all those who wish to live in your eternal night, here in your hour of deepest dark, in your temple and before your altar, I twice bind myself to as your handmaid and your betrothed, to it the symbol of your lasting victory. I inscribe the final mark over myself to thee. Lord Satan, send me a demon so I may know I'm to be your wife. 
Okay, so during this last clip, we actually see Juliana branding an upside-down cross on her breast. Goddamn, that was sexy. <laughs> yeah, much sexier than Glenn Burton from Deicide. <laughs> yeah, but he did it on the forehead, so you kind of have true. to respect that. Even a though little bit. He does a lot of other things that I can't get behind, like the whole actual animal sacrifice. I'm just not into that, Mr. Ben. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad I could throw out a death metal reference and people would actually pick it up. Most of the time, it goes over everybody's head. I will never forget the first time I looked at the back of my Deicide record and noticed that upside-down cross burned in his forehead and then pointed that out to my other friends that were into metal, going, it doesn't get more hardcore than that. Nope. There's no coming back from that. There's no normal life after you burn an upside-down cross in your forehead. <laughs> You're not exactly getting face-to-face -face customer service work now, are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe in Florida. <laughs> Yeah, like a methadone clinic guy. <laughs> Fill out these forms and come back here in about 20 minutes. <laughs> you guys got any more of that metal? <laughs> Y'all got any more of that satanic death metal? <laughs> I'm still fucking flummoxed over the, the breast being fucking branded with an upside down cross. <laughs> I was into Juliana before that, but right after she does that shit, I'm going, girl, get away from Satan. Come here with me. <laughs> come hang with me. Girl. Have, we, have you heard about atheism? We do a lot of the same stuff you do, only we don't have to bend over for any kind of sky daddy or floor monsters. Well, she kind of reminds me of the scene girls is just trying way too hard to uh, <laughs> show that she's really into the band. <laughs> I'm hardcore, guys. She's got you know, dreadlocks made out of yarn and shit trying to be like super hardcore. There you go. Or like the uh, the girls that would uh, carve the him logo into their skin. It's like, oh, look, you combine music and cutting. Well done, emo kid. <laughs> Everyone knows that that peaked with Slayer and there's no better way to show your love for a band. <laughs> Doesn't matter what band it is, you're carving Slayer into your arm first. <laughs> Alright, so they cut from that to Alfredo, because apparently we didn't have enough sleaze factor in this movie. Talked into wearing a gorilla costume after a whole lot of flattering and compliments and all of this other stuff. Hop Toad, aka Hop Frog from the story, is a really skilled manipulator. The way that they give him the speech that he gives, where he basically points out and plays to everything Alfredo wants to hear. Alfredo feels slighted by Prospero and is looking for a way to get back at him. So stealing this uh, servant character that's like an amusement for him or his court jester would be one thing. But then also using that stolen asset, if you will, or uh, <laughs> court jester to then one-up everyone else at the party with this gorilla costume and this whole performance piece that he's going to do. I can see where this appeals to someone with Prospero's, let's just say self-importance. Yeah. yeah. Not Prospero, Alfredo's self-importance. Yeah. Did anybody else think that maybe Alfredo should be a little bit orange? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> cool. Maybe wear a red hat? Yeah. <laughs> that says, uh, <laughs> make Prospero great again. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I just got that feeling while watching this. I'm like, Jesus, that's this person right there. I don't know. Is Skip, is, uh, Skip Martin still alive? I'm sure we can get him into Trump's cabinet. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, damn it, he died in 1984. <laughs> uh, well, there goes the whole gorilla costume <laughs> solution. <Damn>. I didn't <laughs> say that. Glitch up these days. I didn't say that, NSA. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> Quiet boy, do you want to go to <laughs> federal prisons? <laughs> uh, they're too busy eating each other right now. This is the best time to criticize the government. Fair enough, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Woo! 
the compliments and the beguiling and all of that stuff kind of goes on and Alfredo is completely suckered in by Hop Toad. Yeah, it just feels wrong now that I know it's actually Hop Frog. Right. <laughs> and he basically ends up telling him some stories about how Prospero has offered him women and things like that to kind of elevate him in the eyes of Alfredo, immediately cutting Prospero down and kind of saying that he doesn't offer enough and that's why he wants to move over to his side and he's completely won him over at this point. And they cut away from that to Francesca being woken by an attempt to open her door and a freshly branded Juliana enters the room, startling Francesca and that freaking upside down cross burn on her boob is just right there yep. for the world to see. Mm-hmm. And I'm loving this movie more and more. Okay. And I need a minute, so that's going to be our next clip. All righty. Oh, Juliana, thank God. I, I thought, yes. I don't know. What's that? Satan's mark. Prospero did that to you? Oh, I did it to myself. Marks me as one of Satan's handmaidens. Are you ill? No, it's a difficult ceremony. Veils of ignorance were lifted from my eyes. And now, there's only one more rite to perform, and I will be wed to Satan. You've given away your soul. Yes, gladly. Soon all the innocents will be gone. Then I will have immortality, and I shall have Prospero. But I must be certain. And if you were gone... Gladly, if there were a way. Would you dare to leave the safety of this castle? There is no safety for me here. This key will unlock the cell. The guard on the north wall has been bribed. Take your Gino and your father and go. But the guards, the way through to the dungeons. You've been to the armory and to the dungeon. You must make your own way. Now go, quickly. This dissolves to Francesca in a yellow cloak. Anybody else seeing the symbolism of the color theory at Mm -hmm. play here? Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. She's now shrouded and she's on the first room on the way to the ritual chamber for her initiation. Yes. Again? Never paid attention to that. Never even cared. Just let the beauty of the film wash over me and the cruelty and the just surface story stuff. Then saw this and going, ooh, that's her initiation. She's in yellow now, so mm-hmm. she's in the first room. He's breaking down her sanity, bringing her to the point where he wants her to be, and she's already there within two nights. Damn. <laughs> right? <laughs> ooh, that gave me chills just thinking about that. All right, so we then see her maneuvering towards the dungeon. Um, she heads down the staircase and goes through, sneaks past some of the guards. She's looking for Gino and her father and she never really sees them for quite a while because we apparently didn't have enough cruelty in this movie. She sneaks past the guards and then opens a door to look for Gino. That freaking door was awesome. The little cross that goes across it like that cuts it into four sections uh, and then the oh, spikes yeah, yeah. that go to the center. Yep. I just looked at that and I'm like I wonder if I know a guy that does iron work that could make that for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then just like shroud that in stained glass in different colors. Oh my god that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That would be art. It would be quite beautiful. And the spiky iron bits. Yeah. Or you could have a chair made out like that. There you go. <laughs> Not be very comfortable to sit in. No. But <laughs> <Fuck> comfort. <laughs> I want cool looking chairs. You have to send a message. So she makes it past that door while looking for her father and Gino. And she ends up calling Gino by name after, after she crosses through it. He happens upon a man being tortured who is, in my notes I wrote, quite mad at this point. He just seems like he's babbling off into space and he's just not even acknowledging that there's anybody near the door. Right. It seems like he's probably pretty done with him. <laughs> like this guy's just waiting around to die at this point. Probably. And then we move to another cell to see another man, which absolutely horrifies her in his present condition. And he's basically begging for help still. He looks like he still kind of gives a fuck where he is. 
Then she happens upon an empty cell or what looks like an empty cell. She looks into it and calls out Gino's name and then is immediately startled by another man who looks like he's lost his shit, who was in prison there jumping at the door and basically like yelling at her. Looks like he's gone too. She finally finds them and frees them, both Gino and her father. They end up trying to sneak away past the guards, but one of them ends up hearing them, or at least he hears something and doesn't know what it is, and then he comes out to investigate, and then that starts a bit of a brawl in the dungeon with the guards and Gino and Francesco's dad. They have either subdued or killed the guards. I think they knocked out one, but he probably is dead. Yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Do you you think they killed them all, Goro? Well, they killed at least one, because that's something that Prospero brings up later. Yeah, I think they killed two of them. Francesca's father is busy with one guy, and I think he's trying to choke him out or knock him out. And meanwhile, Gino's got the sword, and with his newfound skills, all of a sudden he's like fucking Errol Flynn and shit. Yeah, maybe you don't train this prisoner how to fight. <laughs> and also, this is kind of like, thought. this is like uh, right around medieval times, so even getting knocked out is kind of like a death sentence right now. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. you get knocked out, what's the town doctor going to say? Well, better leech him till he's blood dried. <laughs> Clearly his humors are out of balance. We need to drill a hole in his skull. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're not Nurse, wrong. get my leeches. <laughs> you're not wrong. They probably are all dead. Yeah. But I know that the two that Gino encounters, it looks like he kills them, so there's at least two dead. All right. Possibly a third. But it looks to me as though Gino has gone over the deep end with his newfound training in the art of murder some fuckers. Yeah, pretty much. All right, so they end up uh, scurrying away after this confrontation to the back passage of the castle, where it is all a trick, and it turns out that Prospero was waiting the entire time. And I want to say that it was like a parapet that they're on, but that doesn't seem right because it's just the top portion of the castle where you have the walk around the wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think parapet's the part that raises up from that that would be like a, that comes to a point or whatever. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't I, remember. I'm just going to say this. I don't know enough about medieval <laughs> castle building to <laughs> really comment about what it's supposed of the castle. to be. <laughs> it's a, across the top wall yeah. where you would shoot arrows out yeah. over the people. They, 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 we, they know. Yeah. Whatever the fuck that's called. Yeah, whatever it is. There's like... <laughs> We're getting really stuck on semantics here. There's, there's a really obsessive medieval guy out there yeah, or gal. Like just like... It's like ah! they're yelling the name into their podcasting <laughs> catcher whatever they're playing it and on. I just said... It's I a zoom because they like medieval stuff. It's a zoom. And, and I'm just sitting here going, ah, you know what? Fuck it. Who cares? They're walking around the castle. Fuck you, Matt Psyop. I know what it is. I care. I care. You just lost a subscriber. <laughs> we want you back, buddy. We're sorry. Please, I'm sorry. Or, just or let us know. Yeah, yeah. whoever it is. We'll, we'll get it right. If just tell us castles, what it is. Love this. Send us pictures of your castle. Let us love you. <laughs> love us like we love you. <laughs> They're across the top passageway over the castle where they get tricked by Prospero, who shows up. He was waiting there the entire time with a shitload of fucking guards just waiting to snag them up. And that leads to our next clip. Juliana betrayed us. She betrayed me. What can you want of two men who've done you no harm? They killed three of my guards. Three human beings. According to your faith, they have sinned great. And tomorrow at the feast before the mask, at least one of them must pay for those sins. Hear me. Hear me. Soon you will be costuming yourselves for the mask. A celebration, my friends. A celebration of victory over death, of evil over good. Senor Scarlatti and his wife will not be joining as he failed to obey my orders. But because of me, through my mediation with my master, the Lord of Flies, you, all of you, unworthy though you may be, will be safe from the red death, we promise you. Unless, of course, you incur our displeasure, for some of you are guilty of acts against us. 
acts of faith, perhaps. And all of you, I suspect, still harbor some sacred thought. But no more. The fallen angel will protect you. And now, for a small entertainment. Guards, these two men are true believers. They believe in a God who preached, love thy neighbor. Therefore, they refuse to fight each other in order to save one of their lives. However, I have devised a plan whereby each may have the honor and glory of saving the other's life. There are five daggers here. One of them is impregnated with a poison that kills in five seconds. Each man in turn will cut his forearm. Begin. Would you not lay down your life for your brother? Next, five seconds. Five seconds. Five seconds. The game was not played properly, so both will die. No! You're a madman. And yet I will live and you will die. Where is your God now in the hour of your need? I will see him in paradise. In the role of a martyr. <laughs> now, I will not have you killed. I will set you free instead. Free to go back to your village and the Red Death. I beg you! I am only giving him a further glorious chance to test his faith, my dear. I'll come back to you, Francesca. Somehow I'll come back. All right, I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but at this point, she's in a sort of bluish dress. Yep, she's still yep. transitioning. Yep, yep. Kind of moving from yellow into purple. Yep. Because the base of purple is blue and red. Mm-hmm. And because she's not full purple and it's blue, the red is removed because she's not the target of the red death, is how I read it. That. Yeah. Oh, that's gonna be something. Yeah. I got really fucking dirty with this. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things I wanted to point out, too, in the clip that I just played, he actually states that Scarlato, that character, would not be joining them. And as we remember, he actually murders him. Now, the reason that he wouldn't let him into the castle isn't because of the threat of the Red Death. It's because he showed up late and wasn't part of the ritual dance of the animalistic stuff the first night. Mm -hmm. So he hasn't been led onto the path already. And that takes him away and ruins the delicate balance that Prospero is trying to strand out in the threads of everything he's doing. Every decision that Prospero is making and every act of cruelty that he's doing on display for everyone, every bit of entertainment, the dances that they're doing, the masquerade, all of the stuff that he is doing, he is grooming each individual guest. And if he brings someone else in or lets them into the castle as a guest, even though they haven't been on the path already, it upsets this balance and it has to be on that specific night. Again, back to that ritual chamber with the red porthole that Matt was all about. Uh With the light, I think that there's a certain set a number of nights where the moon will be in the right position with the right waxing and waning whatever it's going to be for whether or not it's full or however the light is for this ritual to be perfect for whatever it is that he's trying to work because he does mention throughout the film there's a lot of specific rites that he's trying to do that up until this point when Francesca was brought to the house Juliana was not willing to do and now Juliana is actually doing separate work to bring her up on the same road as Prospero Mm -hmm. I think she's trying to basically be like more than just an acolyte of his I think she wants to be like a contemporary yeah like a, a high priestess to his high priest. She wants to be his partner. Yeah, she just doesn't want to be cast aside. Yeah. But in in the same route, she's also trying to bring up her favor with their dark overlord. And, you know, the first step in doing that is apparently to burn an upside down cross on your boob. Isn't that like normal? If if you're trying to get my attention, it's working, Juliana. (laughs) I'll be You want to get married to Satan. (laughs) Or court psyops. There you go. Just saying. I already have a wife. Those little ladies, don't burn yourselves. Yeah. It's it's a waste. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) I'm taken and much like wolves, I made for life. 
<laughs> All right, so after this last clip, uh, Francesca actually begs more and more to be released or to leave with Gino even. She even begs Prospero to bring Gino back and then she will do whatever it is that he wants as long as Gino is saved from the Red Death. At this point, I believe she is transitioning out of her blue towards more of the white. And I think we end up seeing that more at the end as well. Uh, yeah, she's full on rocking a white dress at the end of the film. Yeah, so she has lost her way at this point and she's basically giving herself over. I think at this point, she's just basically been worn down. This is more or less a Stockholm syndrome, I think. <laughs> you know, for lack of a better term with it, it just seems like she's just resigned herself to this fate. Like, I'm not going to escape. Even if I get out of here alive, there's the red death outside. What else can I do? I just have to do this to survive. And she just feels like she has no other option. You can almost see the hope drain out of her as the color transitions happen as well. Francesca does end up begging for Gino to be spared and also to be able to go with him, uh, to be brought back in. She tells Prospero she will do whatever he wants. This obviously intrigues him, but he instead is interrupted by Juliana, who states she is ready for whatever particular ritual that needs to be done. They cut from this to Gino is banished and walks through the forest, imagining Prospero laughing at him as he hears Francesca screaming. A real crisis of faith for this particular young man. He's losing his shit. He ends up running, probably from the voices in his head. He falls near where the entity in red is dealing Terra, and that leads to our next clip. My son, tell me of it. God. My God. Who is your God? The true one. Yes. Tell me. I've sinned. I've killed. For yourself? No. No, I'm afraid. For yourself? For Francesca. And for me. I must go back for her, but I don't know how. What weapon can I use against Prospero? Love? In the air through the trees, I found myself loving only myself. I'm afraid of the town where the Red Death walks. I'm afraid of Prospero and his castle. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I give you a sign. What does it mean? Mankind. Won't this thing become uncomfortably hot? It will become a little warm, but it won't be for long. After the unmasking, you can take it off because the game will be over. Well, enough. Get on with it. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. See yourself. After this, we see Hop Toad training up Alfredo to act as a gorilla and introduces the whip play part of it. Yeah, the guy got a little kinky there. <laughs> it seemed like uh, Alfredo likes a little bit of the whip. He seems to be acting up just to get hit by it. Probably can't feel it through the gorilla costume. <laughs> then they cut from this to Gino comes upon a caravan of what looks like they may be the afflicted people, but it turns out they are the remaining villagers after the Red Death has struck and there's like what six people left that's it yeah yeah, I think that's about it they cut from that to the final rituals as Juliana drinks from a chalice and this kicks off a very trippy sequence which is pretty much a patented thing for Roger Corman in a lot of these films this got really weird really fast well and it's all it's interesting to think of when this came out because this was 1964 and I was drawing uh, clear allegories between this and the dream slash impregnation scene from Rosemary's Baby, which would come a full four years later. Oh, I can totally see that. Yeah, there's a lot right? of parallels there. Completely. Jesus, I didn't even think of that, man. Yeah. The part that I was thinking about is how she's wearing a very diaphanous gown as she's running around and you can see right <laughs> through it. Yeah, apparently yeah. that got Corman into a little bit of trouble. They had to trim that scene a little. Yeah, I don't think they should have trimmed that at all. If anything, they should have expanded upon that particular running around. I really well, enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so she's running through 
some smoke. We see some curtains, and it looks like an extended version of the ritual chamber, but it's like this very green, trippy thing where the, the camera is kind of morphing through the lens. This dissolves, yeah, this dissolves to her being repeatedly sacrificed by costume dancers with various blades. I didn't try to dig too deep into the symbolism for what these various people were. I just looked at them as all of these different people that have prayed to her particular deity of Satan over the years, mm. whether they yep. were tribesmen or whatever, whatever nations and stuff like that. Yeah, they may not have been going for any direct sort of visual allegory there. They may have just been, hey, what, what funky visuals can we put into this trip out sequence? <laughs> all right, I'm glad that I wasn't the only one that was like, not sure if there's anything there because everything else was so carefully planned, it feels, in this movie for the symbolism that this just feels like a tacked on hallucinatory sequence because it was probably expected. <laughs> well, and Corman would end up uh, kind of revisiting this territory with a film that he produced later on down the line, uh, The Dunwich Horror, oh, which yeah. uh, that one actually feels like they were drawing from Rosemary's Baby since it came two years afterwards. Holy shit, yeah. Wow. Uh, need to get a Blu-ray of that one. Maybe we have you back on to talk about that because that would be there a really go. fun one to rip into. Lovecraft, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Except every time I talk about Dean Stockwell, I assume he's dead. And the last time I checked, he's still alive. He and is. I keep, I keep forgetting. <laughs> it's Harry Dean Stanton that we lost, and I always mix those two up myself because they're two badass that guy actors. Yes. <laughs> I wrote in my notes here at the end of this discussion of the dream sequence, really weird shit. Yeah, That's it was. fair. It was weird That's shit. Fair. That's fair. And then I also wrote, kind of feels like filler. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. This, is the, guy, That's this fair. is the guy who brought us the trip, and he needed to make sure it was a certain number of reels. So let's add a hallucinatory scene and move on. <laughs> That's probably his, his mindset on that. All right, so she awakens from this, declaring Satan as her master and she hears Prospero laugh. She states she is betrothed of the devil and in all of the beauty of the horrors or something along those lines, we hear Prospero say not all of them as she exits the main ritual chamber. She moves through each of the colored rooms and declares a new statement about her prowess with the dark one and she goes into each room and looks about and it looks as though she's seeing the world from completely different eyes and that actress is playing it out so gloriously there's so much that we could dig into that but just watch the movie yourself and you'll see it it's right there uh, she says something about how she is convinced in one of the rooms she has survived being offered as the sacrifice and has become stronger in the devil's favor or something along that line than Prospero even she exits to the main ballroom espousing that she has tasted the beauties of terror as the refrain from earlier about the passage of time the beating of hearts and death ends up being replayed over top of that at that end of that there's something about a footstep of an assassin that has never heard and this culminates in a falcon attacking Juliana and killing her in front of all of the party guests yep wow Damn. yeah I just love that misdirection you know that they're setting her up to be this thing and then no it's she's just killed well I think the entire thing is that Prospero has been grooming her this entire time she is indeed the bride of Satan but she doesn't get to live to enjoy it she's immediately shipped off to him and she's an offering that Prospero set up. I think that was the whole entire thing. I think he even expounds on that a little bit in our next clip. I beg you do not mourn for Juliana. We should celebrate. She has just married a friend of mine. Let the mass begin. Officer of the night watch. Who are you? All that is left of the village of Catania. Then go back to it. We beg mercy of the Lord Prince Prospero. Inform the prince it might amuse him. Don't grovel to him. Don't let him delight in the destruction of your souls. I wish to save our bodies, the few left to us. Do you expect any plea to move his heart? If we must die, let's die like human beings. You have not seen the Red Death. You've not seen the dungeons of Prospero. Don't be frightened. Come with me. This is Gino. 
This is my child. I must give her every chance. Where does the rabbit run? That one fears Prospero more than the Red Death. What do you want? Mercy, great prince. This is all that is left of us. In the winter, it comes on the freezing wind. There is no shelter. Digaburro is the fox and rabbits do. But the wells and the streams, they will be frozen over. There is no food. Then store up nuts like the squirrel. Mercy, give us the sanctuary of the castle walls. Give me an end to your pleading. Go back from whence you came. We will die. If you refuse to go, then die here, archers. But not the child. It will perish anyway. Not the child. Far. Far. Gifts. Gifts for everyone. Diamonds, rubies, emeralds, pearls, for my friends, for my guests. Look at them. <laughs> Look at them, all scrambling like starving men for crusts of bread. All wealthy and all greedy for more. I give you reason for real rejoicing, my friends. The only survivors of the village have just come to the castle walls. <laughs> only six. The Red Death has claimed the rest of them. But as I promised you, all of you within these walls, under my protection, are safe. So rejoice. And the six who lived? Dead, but they demanded to enter the castle. You killed them. It was a kindness, my dear. Can't you see that? The Red Death brings pain and terror and madness. I spared them. Tonight after the mask, I will initiate you into understanding. I don't know. I don't know. This leads to the dancing of everybody and Gino scaling the walls on the outside of Prospero's castle. He made a medieval grappling hook, which is just a giant fucking branch that goes across the, <laughs> the two divots that yeah. you can fire arrows from. Well, he's a peasant. Well, you know, he's got to do his best. Yeah, come on. Hey, it worked, right? Yeah. It supported his weight. It got him to where he needed to go. It was pretty ingenious. Um, he gets to the top of the castle and he turns to see the red cloaked entity. At this point, I'm pretty sure we all know who that represents. But red cloaked entity sounds so much more nefarious, and I like saying it. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Who tells him to remain at the area that he's at there that's the top of the wall until after the stroke of 1 a.m., where he will send Francesca to him. He tells him to use wisdom instead of his newly reinforced courage that he was lacking when they spoke earlier. And at this point, Gino says, well, what if the guards discover him while he's waiting? The entity states to look there, pointing behind him, and we then see a dead guard coated in blood who is very clearly a victim of the Red Death. It has already made it to the castle. When Gino goes to take a closer look, he turns back to look to the entity and it has disappeared. They cut from this to Esmeralda practicing her dance when Hop Toad arrives to tell her she must be ready to while well, my mountain is really showing skedaddle <laughs> out of the place with a warm cloak because they're going to leave tonight and they're going to escape and that she will not be dancing tonight. There is a new plan that will aid in their escape. And they cut from that to the mask happening, which I was not aware that a masquerade ball could just be called a mask with the same spelling where you drop a raid. I guess. <laughs> I, I suppose. I'm not French. <laughs> Nor am I. Clearly, I don't surrender. We. No. <laughs> oh. World War II and I'm still firing shots. Yeah, that, damn. <laughs> they cut from this to the mask as the costume deviants, let's just call them what they are. Yeah. They've been fully transformed, are frolicking and frittering away way at the night and the hours dancing and being debauched. This leads to Alfredo running down in his gorilla costume, grabbing women and groping at them like a fucking pervert, with Hop Toad cracking the whip and trying to control him. At this point, because he's in a costume,
costume and he knows no one can see him, Alfredo drops all pretense of being anything even remotely human, just grabs a fucking lady and drags her to the floor and starts getting all pervy and rapey on her while she's laughing the whole time like it's okay, at which point Hoptoad lowers a chandelier to the ground just above him while the gorilla is still getting all rapey and gropey on that female party guest. Hoptoad then lashes the gorilla-suited Alfredo to the chandelier and somehow has the upper body strength to hoist him and the chandelier back up above the crowd, just enough to where they can all see him. They are laughing the entire time, including Prospero, who loves that Hoptoad is playing a joke on Alfredo. Hoptoad then says something about we must give him brandy and then douses the costume in brandy and then <laughs> lights this motherfucker on fire. Amazing. To the complete joy and laughter of the guests. If you thought that they had any room left for any hope of salvation or coming back from what Prospero had done to them, this debauchery and this unchecked evil that they have been brought to leads to this. There's a few <laughs> people that scream and they seem upset about this, but no one really seems to be that upset about the smell of burning Alfredo and gorilla suit. <laughs> Not even Alfredo. <laughs> no, he's screaming in pain and begging for I them know. to help him. I was just joking. You know, after he's dead and they just clear it away, but the smoke is still there, mm -hmm. I bet you never got the smell of Olive Garden out of that place. <laughs> Burn Alfredo? Yeah, yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. Huh? Yeah, it was yeah. nice. Been holding on to that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of it while writing my notes and I'm like, hee, hee, hee. Alright, so he's burned alive in the costume as Hoptoad escapes in the shock of the crowd during our next clip. I see you no longer turn away from the cruelties of life. I no longer care. My life is done. What's left, I give to you tonight. Guards, clear that out of the way. How can my guests be expected to dance around that? And when you find Hoptoad, give him five pieces of gold as a reward for his entertaining jest. You've pleased me very much, my dear. What was that? What is it? A costume I haven't seen before. Someone wearing red, and I forbade them to wear red. Come. This leads to drunken revelry through all of the colored rooms because all of the guests are now working their way through Prospero's path of damnation. There's no other way to really refer to it yeah. for what he's trying to do. And then we see a red entity passing through various areas of the party, and then Prospero ends up finding him and chasing him, and then ends up confronting him as he follows him through all of the rooms to the ritual chamber. Prospero speaks with the entity. He wants to know who it is that is under the mask and who would dare wear such a thing at his party when he strictly forbade it. He then ends up suspecting at first that it was a party guest and then when he can't figure it out, he assumes that it's Satan and that he's here to thank him for not only his bride but all of Prospero's work. He then espounds about how he has led all of these people to their damnation. He's offered this huge sacrifice to Satan. He's very proud of everything that he's done and you just start thinking, holy shit, this guy really did want to do this the whole time the first time you mm, see right? this. Like, just the fact that his plans all came to this fruition and he thinks that the Red Death is actually Satan, it leaves a chill through you that someone could be that fucking evil. So, Prospero and the Red Death walk back through the crowd as the Red Death does a reveal swipe to show all of the partygoers covered in blood and then dancing because they are now doing a new dance, all drippy and wet with blood. Very fucking cool. Oh, yeah. And I could just imagine what audiences have 1964 must have thought of that because you know I can watch it now and not be necessarily creeped out about it just be appreciative of the visuals but for a somewhat less sophisticated horror uh, horror audience god this must have been intense I have a point in my brain where when I get into these kind of movies I just kind of drop some of the facade of like the horror gore fanatic and sure. I let 
the concept kind of flow over me. And when, when doing so, I just imagine these disease-ridden people compelled to dance. And this is the symbolism that I'm seeing here. They're disease-ridden and the dance is like a St. Vitus dance where they can't control their muscles because they talk about how you convulse and you're out of control and everything like that. But this is not what the Red Death is showing Prospero. He's showing them this beautiful dance and all of this kind of stuff that's been wrought. But really, these people are suffering. They're convulsing. They're bleeding out. And it's just happening right in front of our eyes. And what it symbolizes is something so much more horrible <laughs> than this beautiful dance that we're given. It, oh, I can definitely see that. Oh my God, it yeah. creeps me out just thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, this ends up leaving only Prospero and Francesca. And that is our next clip. Our master will be pleased. I brought all of these souls to him. I, I taught them his worship. I corrupted them for him. I knew he was supreme when no one else did. I built a chapel to Satan, and I prayed to him, and I made a pact with him. And these, all of my friends, I, I promised them safety. You presumed too much. I know, I know, but it does make a fine jest, the kind of jest that would amuse Satan. Would it? Your Excellency, this girl... In all my life, I've never met anyone whose faith rivaled mine. Spare her to me. A charitable request, a rare thing with you, Prospero. Go to the battlements. Go now. Yes, Francesca. Yes, go, and I will join you when this is over. Thank you, Your Excellency, for the girl. I have no title. Why do you call me Excellency? Well, I thought as the ambassador of Satan... He is not my master. Death has no master. But Satan rules the universe. I made a pact with him. He does not rule alone, and your pact with him will not save you. There is no other god. Satan killed him. Each man creates his own god for himself, his own heaven, his own hell. Let me see your face. Your hell, Prince Prospero, and the moment of your death. No. 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 Okay, so during this, we see Death had the face of Prospero because he does state that Death has no face until it comes for the person and then it has the face of the person that it is collecting. And then Prospero obviously runs away, only to be caught up and manhandled by his guests, pushed towards the arms of Death again and again. Now, this whole sequence we were kind of talking about earlier, it's very trippy, but what I think it symbolizes is the throes of the guests dying in pain and agony as Prospero starts to succumb to the Red Death himself. This illness is infecting him. Oh, definitely. And as he's convulsing and as he himself is starting to lose his mind, this is sort of the hallucinations that he sees. And then he watches all of his guests fall down dead around him. And I think of that old poem about the Black Plague, Ashes, Ashes, We All Fall Down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right there, that came to my mind and I got even more creeped out. And just talking about it, I'm getting chills. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sees only the Red Death with his face standing there, who ends up pursuing him through all of the colored rooms back to the ritual chamber to be found waiting there for him. So it feels like he's chasing him. And as soon as Prospero crosses over to where he feels safe in his ritual chamber and slams the door shut where he's supposed to be protected, Death is just right there waiting for him. And Death even asks him, why should you be afraid to die? Your soul has been dead for a long time. Mm -hmm. That rang really, really deep with me. Yeah, that was because <laughs> I was that I, was a deep line. I was thinking about it, and I'm like, "Holy fuck, am I that far gone? Am I, <laughs> I don't Prospero? Think you're quite that far gone? Am I? Am I Prospero? Am I? Am I soon to be leading this life? I can tell you, you're not. You're not. And then I thought to myself, "I mean, you're soon to leave this life because yeah. we both live unhealthy lifestyles, <laughs> but you're not. <laughs> but the spirits did it all in one night, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> this film has shown me the error of my ways. We have a red swipe, and Prospero then bleeds profusely about as if the Red Death has taken him, and the blood flowing from him even in that day was pretty grotesque. Oh yeah, that old that old school super thick paint like blood, which yeah. uh, some people will say super looks super fake, but I love that aesthetic. I have a whole diatribe about fake blood, which we don't have time to get into, but in this case, it's like the Kensington Gore, and it's because of the color timing with the film that it looks like that. It's actually stage blood, but because of the sort of pastel nature of the way that film caught things back in that day, it mm-hmm. didn't look that real. The reason that Herschel Gordon Lewis's blood looks so real around the same time and before that is because he did screen tests with the type of film he was shooting on to make it look as realistic as possible. Ah, very nice. That's about seven hours condensed into a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> they cut from this to the Red Death drawing tarot cards with the little girl as another death appears. This time is a black death. That leads to our final clip. Morning, brother. You come far? From Cathay and beyond, 100,000 perished at my passing this last night. This eternity of wandering, 10,000 sleep where I walked. I am very tired. The weariness of those to whom we bring rest burdens you. What of you, brother? I called many. Peasant and prince. The worthy and the dishonored. Six only are left. Young man and woman, dwarf and a tiny dancer. This child and an old man still in the village. Sick transit Gloria Mundi. And now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night, and one by one dropped the revelers in the blood-bedewed halls of their revel, and died each in the despairing posture of his fall. And the life of the ebony clock went out with that of the last of the gage. And the flames of the tripods expired, and darkness and decay, and the Red Death held illimitable dominion over all. So roll credits. Goro, what specifically about the Red Death drew you in to pick this for your movie stack Jenga pick for the show? Well, like I talked to you in the past, I'm a big fan of the Roger Corman Poe cycle. And for me, the Mask of the Red Death, it just had all of those elements that made these films so iconic. It had just a masterful performance from Vincent Price, as I'd mentioned, ranking amongst the very best of what he was able to do in terms of cinematic villainy. The color palette and the aesthetic of the film are absolutely top-notch. And even some of the philosophical digressions they get into, they sort of predict and almost preempt the philosophical shift within America at this time. I mean, this was a couple years before Time Magazine would put out the cover, Is God Dead? So for a film, a mainstream design for mass public consumption, because to be fair, that's the kind of movies Roger Corman made, to have the balls to go down that level, to take the tenor of the time and feel that a mass audience would accept this kind of movie, albeit with a a somewhat hopeful ending that's still mired in a whole hell of a lot of nihilism, it lends the film a particular kind of strength that's only reinforced by the incredibly surrealistically beautiful imagery that just permeates the entire thing. It's an incredible, incredible movie. It's rightfully regarded as the hallmark of Corman's Poe cycle along with House of Usher. And it's just a film without a flaw as far as I'm concerned. You could just draw some little nitpicks as far as certain thinly drawn characters like greasy chested Gino, but to do that is to do a disservice to the mastery behind this film, which is best personified by Vincent fucking Price. We're not worthy! We're not worthy! We're not worthy! We're terrible! Everything we do is worth nothing! 
Oh, come on, guys. Our show is yours. We were either going to go with that or I was going to go with just silence after you got done with all that and just go, ditto. <laughs> I, was gonna, I, was, I was planning on fame. Fame. <laughs> well, if, you, if, you, if you'd gone silent, then I just would assume the Skype call had dropped out again. I, I'm just going to say this right now. It's like we all had a project to do. He did all the work. We're just adding our names to it. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Goro, definitely, when we got assigned this for our literature class to do yeah. the film and analyze it, yeah. Goro took over. Yes. And he got us the A. Hey, hey Goro, go ahead and just throw my name on that, will you? Thanks, pal. And we're like, we owe you a case of beer, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, buy the pie. The only thing that I really have to add to that is I don't find the ending that hopeful because it is mere luck that the two people who survived, it just so happened that we're following Gino and also Francesca. Mm-hmm. I actually think that basically Francesca should have also died. I think it should have been the two extremes of the religious faith thinking that they would be protected by God and then, you know, her coming back and then praying to God or something like that, that, you know, her God would protect her from the Red Death. Now, this is my modern eyes. I think the Red Death should have taken them both. And oh, then- certainly. And I have a feeling that the only reason that they allowed for those two to live as well as Hop Toad and Esmeralda, even though we don't actually see them live, we just get the Red Death telling the other deaths that they survived. That may again have simply been a concession towards mainstream audiences that Corman knew, rightfully so, that in order for his film to have mainstream appeal, he needed to soften the ending a little. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's probably one of those things that the censors pushed on him too, because there were problems with censorship for him, even in those times where people would have the ear of the producers and would try and make them pull back. In the Corman post cycle before that, I've heard other issues that he's had where certain things he couldn't get away with and he couldn't pull out. And I feel like a lot of the things that he's been trying to do up to this point culminate in the Mask of the Red Death, which this is pretty much the end of his Corman post cycle. Uh, it's, it's pretty much right there at the very dead smack of the end. And I mm-hmm. never had an appreciation of this film nearly as much as what I did as I got older and really started digging into it. I just always looked at it and went, oh, that's pretty. Yay. Who cares about anything else? Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. And I fucking love this movie so much now. And it's not just from this show and doing it for the show. I've just, it's, it's kind of like realizing you've had something good the entire time that you've been taking for granted and deciding I need to appreciate this again. Like when you look at that person that you love and you're like, I've had a wonderful life with you. I'm so sorry that I may not have been expressing that up until this point. And you just realize it again. That's what I feel like with this movie where I'm like, I, I've never treated you as good as you deserve, Red Death. <laughs> well, and that's that's the thing I love about movies and I love about the conversation about movies because not only is there's just so much out there to explore, but it's also so much out there to rediscover as we grow, as we take on new experiences, as our appreciation for film continues to develop and partially through conversation just like this. So it is interesting that a film you can watch at various stages of your life can be imbued with a greater uh, subtext or just a greater resonance depending on the life you've lived. Yeah, you grow into a movie as you go. You really do. I Damn just right. thought it was pretty. I don't really care and I love Brinson Price. Yeah, that's that's perfectly <laughs> legit, man. Wait a little bit. You'll grow into it as you mature <laughs> if you live that long without cirrhosis. This is your fourth hobo liver, so we'll, we'll hope. Alright, we've gone way over time for this and we've kept Goro up way too goddamn late so we're gonna skip the news tonight we're gonna take a little moment here we're gonna pause for another promo for another podcast we'll have a little bit of music when we come back we will close out this fucking show my life fades the vision dims all that remains are memories i remember a time of chaos ruined dreams wasted land but most of all 
I remember the podcast. The man we called Witch. To understand who he was, you have to go back to another time. A time when the doomsday clock ticked ever closer to Armageddon. You can still find The Witch versus the Doomsday Clock podcast by searching for WYCH on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Memories may decline, but movies live forever. One of the things that we definitely missed, and I feel that we're definitely remiss until mentioning it now, is the score for the film. The visuals kind of overshadow that. Yeah. And I'm glad that I was able to find the score in a really nice, uh, let's just say, version online. (laughs) (laughs) YouTube. And I'm really glad that I was able to incorporate that into the show. I think it elevates the show to much more than our dick and fart jokes that we normally do, Matt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Speaking of elevating the show. And classy. Goro, before we close out, let the folks know how they can find your much better podcast than ours. Alright, well if you want to listen to more of my inane ramblings, you can find me over on Talk Without Rhythm. That's T-W-O-R podcast.blogspot.com or you just do a search for Talk Without Rhythm and you'll find me. And if your sensibilities tend more towards the grappling arts, I also do a podcast about wrestling called the Five Hossman Wrestling Podcast, along with uh, Dynamo Mars and Johnny Wolfenstein of Trick or Treat Radio. Also uh, Jake E from the Cult of Muscle and our good buddy Coop. We all get together about once a month to talk about the best uh, best of wrestling outside of the uh, mainstream, outside of the uh, the WWE. And yeah, we uh, tend to, to record for like five hours or so because we're insane like that wow. sometimes. Well, we don't a, do it on a school night though. <laughs> there is a rich world out there of wrestling that is not the WW whatever or the WC whatever. Exactly. It really is. It exists and it's out there. And Matt so is a wanna... huge wrestling fan, so he should check that out yes yeah man a lot of japanese stuff a lot of indie stuff we're uh, girding our loins for the big wrestlemania episode because even if you don't talk about wrestlemania it seems like every promotion is running huge events during that weekend they all do they all go to wherever wwe uh, wherever they're having wrestlemania because usually they always have in a big city where there'll be exactly. plenty, of, plenty of places to have a show and yeah you yep. get some great fucking shows i've Two had friends our- who have gone to wrestlemania and they said yeah they've spent the whole week every day from the Monday, from the Monday before WrestleMania all the way through to WrestleMania to then the few shows after WrestleMania, it's just all wrestling shows. Exactly, and two of our members are actually going down to New Orleans for that, so they're going to be seeing a lot of wrestling, and I'm more than a little jealous. Oh yeah, me too. It should be a good one. Make sure they stay away from Victor Crowley's swamp, that's all I'm saying. This is true. (laughs) This is true. So if you're interested in that, you can find us at uh, the 5 Hossmen at buzzsprout.com or just do a search for the 5 Hossmen. And that's it. You can find us on 
on legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. You can find us on Facebook. Our Facebook group is Cinema Psyops. I am Court Psyops and Matt is Matt Psyop. You can email feedback to Matt, psyopmatt at gmail.com. Let him know that it is about time that he did his own Prospero transition. Ooh. <laughs> you can email feedback to Court. Naughty. Court at gmail.com. Send him photos of your branded upside down crosses. Ooh. You can tweet about porthole windows. <laughs> sure, porthole red stain windows. <laughs> yeah. You can find Court on Twitter at Court underscore Psyop. You can find Matt on Twitter at Psyop Matt, where you can tweet a couple of tweets to a couple of twats of your red glass stained portholes. Stained glass portholes? Slide your portholes into my DMs, yo. Upside down cross branding on various body parts of a sexual nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We kind of want to see that, but at the same time, we're horrified. Uh, My voice is getting higher because I'm equally turned on and scared. I'd like to thank once again our guest, El Goro, for showing up and braving the late night hours with us. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for downloading and listening to this episode. Kick the fuck out of this week and make it your bitch. Unmuted. <laughs> uh, let me pause the recorder real quick. Memories. <laughs> Whatever. Out right. the corner of my mind. You better stop singing Sorry. or I will hurt you. <laughs> Come, you all worked up thinking about making out with Goro. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blushing. Hey, look at you. I do declare. <laughs> <laughs> I got the papers. We put out a podcast, and it is a product that we're giving away for free, but we're trying to create value to get people just to listen to it because they have to spend their time with us. Yeah, sure. We're looking for the time currency so that somebody's there while we shout into this void and if you, to love us and pay attention to us. Right, and if you think about it, your time is more valuable than actual money. <laughs> because Watch you only get so... communist talk, buddy. Uh, you only get so much <laughs> lifetime. You it's trade true. away pieces of lifetime for money. Yeah. So time is therefore more valuable than money. Yeah, but that's <laughs> communist talk, and we don't we don't support that. This show is whoa. a capitalist whoa. show. Whoa, 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 whoa! Our guest is super left, and so am I. So you're outnumbered. No, no, no. You see, that's that's I, rugged I, no, individualism, no, no. man. That's put, that's put that's putting yourself above any sort of I- any other uh, concern, man. It's like fuck you. I'm gonna do my time because it belongs to me. Freedom, America. Down here, it's our time. Guys, guys, it's our time down here. <laughs> <laughs> guys, I know. I'm with you. I'm just trying to, you know, trying to, I don't, we don't need the government crashing into this. You know what I mean? I'm yeah, buying lots capitalism. of guns. I'm buying lots of guns. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gee. Well, see, now, <laughs> if you, you see, you're white, so it's, you're a white male, so you're fine saying that. I'm buying guns for black people. Now you're in trouble. <laughs>
<laughs> like a machiste day or something? Hey. A little bit. What are you talking about? Whoa. 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 That's pretty offensive. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> I'm just glad the listeners couldn't see your hand motions while you're doing it. <laughs> well, now that you explained it to them. <laughs> well, yeah, because I want them to know why I'm outraged. Oh. <laughs> Yeah? I said, I'm fucking fine! Okay, hey buddy. Hey, you want to go out back and throw the ball around a little bit? Nothing could be my father from the truth. <laughs> hey, you want Gordo to give you a hug? It's Goro, dick. I know. <laughs> He's going to use him for nefarious purposes. Nefarious purpose is what I'm all about. That's my only purpose. <laughs> How did that go to a Marx Brothers I don't reference? know, man, but you I just... don't know. You got it there. I slid that in there. That's what she said. <laughs> yes. Now, where the fuck was I? I don't know. Should I tell a cop to go fuck himself? Probably not. Do probably I not. do it anyway? Uh, you probably would. Have I done it anyway? Yeah, on the show you have. <laughs> to their face. <laughs> While being pulled over, have I done it anyway? I, no, I, that I don't know. I haven't been with you when you got pulled over. But would I doubt you do it? No. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite words to say to a police officer are not go fuck yourself. Yeah. They're, am I being detained? <laughs> they hate that shit. Am I being detained? Am I being detained? Am I being detained? <laughs> you know how fast you were going. Am I being detained? Next thing you should tell them is you're a sovereign citizen. They always will love that, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm a citizen of the sovereign nation of Syopia. <laughs> you have no jurisdiction over me here. Oh, man. Okay, we're getting way too off topic here. Taze. <laughs> Sometimes we like it. <laughs> My safe word while being tased is keep, keep going. going. <laughs> Never seen so many gaudy ritual chambers in all my life. God knows I have. Just so stupid. I'm putting it in there so you don't need to do it. <laughs> That'll be it. I'll take go. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine having to fight your father to the death? Not my father. Yeah. My wife's father to the death. Because that's Gino's oh, wife. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it's not his own father. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, 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 that's true. If it was my dad, I think, you know, I would probably lose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can always make another one of you. <laughs> oh, no. You need to get another tattoo there, tough guy? Help bury uh, that thought? I'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> Learning interesting things about your childhood. Keep going. <laughs> Tell me how you feel feel about this court. Oh, God, he's crying again. <laughs> I don't fucking cry. That's right. You only sweat a lot out of your eyeballs when you're mad and upset. Who's crying? I'm not fucking crying. You're not crying! I'm a tough guy. Tough guys don't cry. <laughs> That's that what your dad kept telling you? Oh. That got, that got real that dark got real. real fast. Yeah, it did. <laughs> and yes. <laughs> Right, oh, when I this. said it, I felt really bad. <laughs> like, right when it left, I just went, ooh. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> nope, we're leaving that in. All right. <laughs> You're like, shit. <laughs> you should. Fuck off. <laughs> <sighs> All right, all right. Let's let's huddle up in here. Let's get over my daddy issues. <laughs> I don't know we have enough material for that bridge, but let's go ahead. Let's do it. Good enough? Yeah. You good? Yeah. I'm you good. got your breath back? Jesus yeah. Christ. I think I should just make Cinema Psyops Goro's show, and, you know, he can take over and record with you. All right. Dude, I already do enough shows. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> wow, it's the first time in show history you're threatening to fire yourself off the show. <laughs> Listen to him. I know, right? He's fucking better at this than me. <laughs> I'm just an asshole with money and equipment. Yeah. <laughs> Hooray for government cannibalism. Yay! <laughs> Unless it's sanctioned and that's all I get to eat, then Ugh. Matt's going first. Then you're getting those g- government cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're getting way off track again. God damn it. <laughs> this always happens, man. We have way damn too it, much Goro. fun. Damn it, It's fair. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> and Matt always blames the guests. So we're right on track. Let's huddle up, everybody. Huddle up in the middle here, guys. Let's review this movie. All right, where the fuck was I? God we were abandoned. <laughs> yeah, nothing could be my father from the truth, Matt. <laughs> God, again? You all right? Are they okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, you want to go talk about it a little bit? No, that never solved anything. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't keep in that character. Oh, no, no, I know. I'm taken, and much like wolves, I made for life. <laughs> and much like a necrophiliac after as well. <laughs> gross. It's gross. That just ruined everything, all the goodwill yeah. that I brought up with the people. Yeah. This podcast is over. We're never coming back from no, that. I mean, we were doing so well with such an educational movie. You know, being educational about how the movie was made, all geeking out, and then you had to go fucking ruin it. It always comes back to necrophilia. Yep. Okay, where was I? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta stop us spouting all philosophically. Right? I'm from the mountains. I shouldn't be talking like that. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need that around these parts. <laughs> we hate that air, so we just start babbling on until I find my place. Silence is deafening. Hear my thoughts. I hate oh, it. good. No, no silence. Silence means my parents are never coming back, and I'm going to be locked <laughs> in this closet forever. You, you all right, buddy? I'm fine. What? Are you okay? Yes. <laughs> just don't be quiet. Whatever okay. you do, just all right. don't we'll be keep, quiet. We'll keep it going. Don't worry, buddy. Okay. Cut from this to Batman. Dim- <laughs> fucked me up so bad. I just lost all momentum. I know. That was great. Well, they asked for it. They eat frog legs for Christ's sake. Anyway, no, no we, we got to get him off the line. So yeah, yeah, come on, come on, let's go, let's <laughs> sorry, go. Sorry, we're all we're real close. We're real close. All right, we're out, dude. Thank you so much. All right, thank you, man. This was a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. We'll hope to have you back, and maybe we can start earlier for you. Yeah, or something. Exactly. I don't know. All right, man. You have a good week. Hey, you too. Ladies, bye. Stop talking about your masturbation techniques, both of you, for Christ's sake. (laughs)